Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few minutes, going to be joined by our buddy Chris Lilly from Cake TV, the ABC affiliate in Wichita. He's set to join us. Got a wide-ranging conversation with Lilly Lilly when he stops by in just a little while for right now. We'll talk KU. We'll talk Chiefs. Uh, we'll check in with what's going on in Wichita as well. A, a great convo with uh, Chris Lilly when he joins us coming up in just a bit here on the Jones Report today. Thomas Bridges, as always, joins me here on the program. And Thomas, I was thinking, it's the holiday season. And I would say it's bad parenting if you make your kids watch the NFC East at this point. Given the choice through the holiday season of Christmas movies or the NFC East, you should probably just go ahead and put on the Christmas movie instead of putting your kids through the torture of watching the NFC East. Right, because watching the Dallas Cowboys is watching the, you know, like the ghost of the Christmas past. You always got the fans that says, this is our year, or, oh, we've won this many Super Bowls. I'm like, yeah, ghost of Christmas past. That was in the 90s. <laughs> right? And, and it almost right. feels like, like the, yeah. the Eagles, it seems like, it was a long time ago when they won that Super Bowl and Nick Falls was there, and yet that was, what, only two years now? Right, exactly. Gosh, things and have uh, certainly right. changed with uh, that NFC East. It's been bad. I was really hoping the other night, Tom, that one of two things, one of three things would happen with Eli Manning in his last hoorah of some sorts. Either lead a game-winning touchdown drive, either throw a pick six, and lose the game that way, or it end in a tie. None of those things happened. Instead, we got a three and out and a punt, and then the Eagles scored on uh, their first drive of overtime. So uh, the the Giants got the same treatment that Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs got in the AFC Championship last year. Very same scenario, I feel, for Eli. Yeah, much different implications there. <laughs> um, I, I wonder if they'll roll with him again. I yeah, I don't know if they're, you know, maybe that the season's obviously lost for the Giants. And it's funny, too, because I feel like they just got eliminated from playoff contention because the NFC is that bad. Um, like, the NFC East is that bad. So, I don't know now, do they swan song Eli Manning and let Daniel Jones just recover? Um, I think he deserves a swan song. I don't know if he'll go out and uh, maybe try for another team. I, I, I don't know. I think I mean, Eli's no, got to start at least one more game for another shot to finish his career at 500. I think that's fair. I mean, at, at this point, does Eli Manning, I, I think you still have to say he makes the Hall of Fame. Eli does make the Hall of Fame, but he's going to go in as like the worst quarterback in the Hall of Fame. Right. I mean, he's just had too many bright and shining moments, but the rest of the moments have not been very bright and shiny. He's had just enough. Just so, enough. Tom, and on it, my list of Christmas movies I would watch won. before the NFC East, uh, it's got to be Elf, It's a Wonderful Life is going to be up there, uh, Christmas Vacation is going to be up there for sure. What are the movies you're watching instead of the NFC East? Uh, Home Alone. Um, let's see, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, um, the, uh, the Jack Frost, kind of the old school ones, like the old animated ones, 
like the very old. Uh, there's one with like the fire and ice people. I can't even think what it's called. Um, but that one, uh, really anything other than the NFC East at, at this point. I, I mean, it's. <laughs> I, no, I will take that back. I will be watching the NFC East hopefully get, uh, hopefully get just trashed this weekend uh, when the Rams play the Cowboys in Dallas uh, this Sunday. So I will be watching. Okay, this so there be, is think, uh, the at time. least one thing uh, that you will watch the NFC East of. It's for that purpose. But other than that, uh, we're watching Christmas movies instead of the NFC East for the uh, rested time. And and uh, one of those teams, whether it's the Cowboys or the Eagles, is Washington still alive in this technically? Uh, could they be hosting a playoff game? One of those teams will host a playoff game when it's all said and done. But uh, what an embarrassment that's been, uh, a, a train wreck the uh, last couple of weeks, to say the least. But anyways, uh, with that being said, let's start with the NFL. Big win for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs over the New England Patriots. Oh, my gosh. I could not stay out of my seat in that fourth quarter. I was so hyped to see the Chiefs come away with that victory over New England. 23-16 to was the final. The Chiefs went on a 20 to nothing run in that first half after giving up an opening drive touchdown, and it looked like that there was going to be some big problems with this Chiefs team as they they seemed like had no answer for Brady in those that opening sequence, and then things changed so quickly. The defense responded, played a heck of a game. Patrick Mahomes was on target. He made the right reads and some big-time passes, and he didn't even play great. He played good enough, but the defense won this game for Kansas City. And here's the deal, Tom. With the Chiefs winning that game against New England, to me, I looked at this, and that game, I know it was just a regular season game, but that stood out a lot for not only beating New England, but all the implications around that. The defense that you changed up that Brett Veach put together in this offseason looked a lot better. They were coached a lot better by Steve Spagnola. You built everything around for that moment to be able to beat the New England Patriots, and you did it in Foxborough. If you can do it now, there's a good chance you can do it again in a month if that situation were to arise again against the New England Patriots the second time around. This was huge for the Chiefs to get this right now uh, and build that confidence in, in something that they were looking for, in particular with uh, the way that this season has gone, the peaks and valleys of this year. This was exactly what the doctor ordered for the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, I guess so. And I, I would say they could probably do it again come postseason time, but with the way things go, uh, Patriots probably have some extra tape on the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, um, if they haven't hidden it out where they're shooting the Bengals. Right, yeah, exactly. It was like, why would you videotape the Bengals? They were like, oh, it's just the Bengals. It'll be okay. They, you know, they can't use it for anything anyway. Uh, right, with that said, um, yeah, the Chiefs did a great job. I, You know, I've got to be the devil's advocate here and say uh, the Patriots did get robbed of that touchdown. Uh, but they did have their chances. Officiating was um, bad on both sides. Let's be honest. It, no, it, it was it was really bad. I like I said, playing the devil's advocate because I think the only person or the only set of people that didn't want to see the Patriots 
get screwed over by a call that, you know, was the Patriots fans because, by God, have every other 31 teams in the NFL been screwed by the Patriots or an officiating call in a game with the Patriots before. Uh, this was their time to get that one. Uh, and they still had a chance to win at the end. And I don't, I'm not forget who that – maybe it was Fuller that knocked that pass out of Edelman's It was uh, Bashad Breeland. Right. What, I mean, that was great defense. Uh, to, to, for that KC defense to have that stand against Tom Brady-led team uh, only could boost their confidence. Yeah, it was huge uh, for this group. The offense is going to figure themselves out one way or the other here in the next couple of weeks. I have no concerns about that, uh, but very optimistic from what I saw from that defense uh, with the way that they stood up in that performance. And you look at Brady and the, the Patriots team, the offense never really got going for New England. Credit to the Chiefs' defense, in particular that defensive line. Alex Okafor had a big day. Uh, you also saw... Chris Jones had a big day as well. They were able to get three sacks on Brady, including an interception. But something is not right with Tom Brady. We talked for the longest time, Tom, about how they lack the skill position players that they've had in the past, that those guys aren't there. They have some good backs with Sony Michelle and James White and company. But other than Julian Edelman and Mohamed Sanu, there's just not that receiving presence that we're used to seeing from New England. Uh, you know, no Gronk, no Josh Gordon, no uh, Antonio Brown, those guys. I mean, they had a lot of money invested in them, and the receiving court just isn't there. But with that being said, I still felt like that there's something off with Tom Brady. It's Tom Brady, the greatest of all time. He's still got time to figure it out, still a month before the postseason gets here. He might be just fine. But in the meantime, the arm strength wasn't there with Brady. He was throwing a lot of lob passes and such. Something is not right right now with uh, with the GOAT in Tom Brady. I don't know what exactly is going on. I can't pinpoint it down to one thing, but this is not the Tom Brady we're used to seeing. Eli Manning in that game the other night had a qu higher quarterback rating than Tom Brady's had in the last month, Tom. Yeah, that's a pretty shocker uh, right there. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's in the master plan. Maybe they're just trying to, uh, you know, shock the world again. Uh, realistically, though, I mean, there it's there's something different, and maybe Father Tom's finally catching up. Uh, maybe it, it does, it does, and when it does, it does so very swiftly, uh, especially with the goats uh, across all sports. Sports. Uh, once they play too long, I mean, really the goats, the the goatest, you know, I don't know how I would say it, the, the greatest of all time of the greatest of all times goes out when he's on top. Uh, and maybe that should have been for Brady this past time. Uh, but you know how he is. He's too prideful. That's not going to happen. Um, I wouldn't be shocked for them to still make the conference championship game, though. Uh, just It's a Belichick team. I don't, you know, they could have, you know, the best, the best players come from Tulsa University come and play, uh, and and they're gonna make it work. I mean, they'll end up probably drafting Dylan Stoner from Oklahoma State and, and turning him into the next Edelman. That's just how they're. That's their mo. Um, I won't count them out until they're out, but uh, it doesn't look like last year at all. 
No, there's something off with this team right now, uh, in particular with Brady, that uh, they need to figure out. They have time to do so, uh, but that division is actually tougher than it's been in quite some time either. They got the Bills on their throats here, so uh, they're not only playing for uh, Super Bowl hopes, you know, trying to keep that alive, they still have to try to win their division, and that's not a guarantee at uh, this point going forward. When you look at the, the AFC, the Chiefs right now, Tom, I think are the, at least the second-best team in the AFC by defeating the second-best record in New England on the road last week. That puts them at least second. They did beat the Ravens earlier in the season. We've been kind of talking about all year the hierarchy in the AFC, that you know for a bit it was the Ravens and the Patriots were on another level. Then it was everybody else. Then you kind of threw in the Texans, but they faded the last couple weeks with the way that they've performed. Now the Patriots have lost three out of their last four games here. Is it the Ravens, Chiefs, and then everyone else right now, or is there still another ladder going on that we're not aware about? How would you separate this AFC at this point in time? I got to go with Ravens, Chiefs, and then there's a whole nother tier of teams, maybe about four teams after them. Uh, but I think those two are on the top of the mountain right now. How do you see this AFC as it stands at the moment? Yeah, I mean, you have to. You would have to say that it would be Ravens, Chiefs, and tier tier one A, and then tier two B probably would be. I'm, I'm going to say maybe I guess the Texans and and the Patriots. Uh, I mean, and and the thing about the Patriots, their losses come from all the division. Uh, the division leaders currently in the AFC. So um, that being said, right under I'm get this is so weird to say, right under them, uh, right under which would be the the tier one B I mean, Patriots and Texans. I mean, you could put a multitude of different teams. You could I would say maybe the Steelers and the Titans. And then I look at those divisions, and we mentioned the Bills there, Tom right there toe-to-toe with the uh, Patriots. What about the Titans right now? With the way that the Texans have performed the last couple weeks and the Titans, the role that they've been on, uh, you know, they're right there on the Texans' shoulders. I mean, we could be talking about the Titans possibly winning that division. Uh, Ryan Tannehill has already played himself into a contract extension at this point in time, and they have found new life. They've been one of the hottest teams in the National Football League. Nobody saw this coming with the Tennessee Titans. Do you think they could take the AFC South away from Houston. Oh, very much so. With the way they've been playing, it's like the, the, he breathes in new life into the team. And previous comments, I can't believe I forgot the Bills. They're so forgettable uh, that, you know, I would put them in the tier with, you know, the Patriots. And I would put them, Patriots and Bills, in the tier 1B, even before I think the Bills would beat the Texans. Um, and... I know that the Texans beat the Patriots, and the reason the Patriots for me are still would be Tier 1B is that they are the Patriots and they still have the best coach in the NFL. Uh, With that being said, I would not be shocked if the Titans, if they can keep this up. If you would have told me at the beginning of the season Ryan Tannehill would take down Mariota, the Titans would beat the Chiefs and go on some string or some strand of, of a run and have the potential to you know, top that division, I would have told you you're plumb crazy. Yeah, and you would have reason to feel that way. Uh, I mean, this just came out of nowhere that the Titans are in this position, tied for the AFC South lead 
at eight and five right now. The Titans uh, don't have the tiebreaker that belongs to the Texans at the moment, but I but they will face uh, one more game against each other, and uh, that game will be this weekend. That'll be in our picks uh, coming up later on in the show here. Um, but when you look back at last week, uh, you go to the NFC side, the 49ers with a huge win over the Saints, 48-46, to and with the Seahawks uh, laying an egg against the Rams, the Niners all of a sudden go from the five seed all the way to the one seed in the NFC, a huge win for the 49ers to be able to pull that off and move up uh, in the NFC. And a couple things to take away from that game, Tom, were the 49ers. Not only did you defeat maybe the best team in the NFC, but they went toe-to-toe. They went into New Orleans and took down the Saints, which nobody does. They put up 48 points on the Saints, which nobody does. Jimmy Garoppolo going into this game, everybody said that, you know, hey, he's not playing great, but everyone else is is playing great for that team, that he's doing just enough, and he's kind of, you know, just along for the ride. He did not look like a game manager on Sunday. He did what was asked of him and then some with a spectacular performance, one of the best of his career with 349 yards, four touchdowns, and one interception. Tom, to me, I think, if you get game manager Jimmy Garoppolo, the Niners are a playoff team. If you get what we saw Sunday out of Jimmy Garoppolo, the Niners are a Super Bowl threat to not only just get there, but win the whole damn thing. I mean, that's how uh, good, how much they can elevate if they get that Jimmy Garoppolo going forward. And that's what they're going to need to stay a threat is that Jimmy Garoppolo we saw on Sunday. Oh, for sure, and the, really the question is, can he keep it up? Because I feel show we talked about the consistency of Jimmy Garoppolo, and I feel like we even touched on, you know, is he doing enough or what's been wrong with him the past, you know, couple of weeks. We touched on that, and then he must have been listening because he then comes out and proves us all wrong, shows up and walks into NOLA and starts kicking some ass. Uh, I, you know, can't go without saying that, that Kittle uh, was a big reason to that. And if Kittle doesn't make that last play on that fourth and two, then we're sitting here talking about the 49ers in the fifth spot, uh, you know, and kind of on a downhill slide. Um, so, it, I mean, that was probably the best game of the year, I would, I would have to say. Um, I, I'm trying to think. There's been a couple other ones, but that one – that I can think of has been the best one so far. Um, And like I said, if Kittle doesn't make that play on the fourth and two, or maybe if the Saints actually cover the best guy on the field, uh, then we're not even talking about the 49ers knocking out the Saints um, in that fashion. Um, Didn't, you know, it was insult to injury that the the Saints went ahead and gave him a face mask and set up what's pretty much a chip shot to beat themselves in New Orleans. Now, I'm not going to take any way against the 49ers other than that, um, but for them to go and and go toe-to-toe with the Saints in the Dome, uh, if they can keep that up, then, you know, this team, we could talk about them easily winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, we could. We certainly could. And uh, the team that they passed up in their own division, the uh, Seattle Seahawks, they fell to the L.A. Rams 28-12. to I feel like watching this Rams team, Tom, and you know as well as anybody, it's like watching a glass case of emotion of some sorts. I mean, one day 
They're playing great like we saw on Sunday. Terrific defense. The offense is rocking and rolling, and they just dominate a team like Seattle, who's one of the best teams in the league. And then they lose games to the Buccaneers just out of nowhere. It doesn't make sense to me, this Rams team. They're kind of hard to figure out coming off that Super Bowl performance. Do you think the Rams have turned a corner here? I know the division uh, looks highly unlikely at this point in time. They're basically contending for a wild card spot. But do you think that the Rams could go on a run here and you get one of those wild card spots and be a force to be reckoned with the rest of the way in the NFC? So they're going to need some help too, and it's. I hope it's not a little too late. Um, they'll have to win out. Uh, if they played the way they did against the Seahawks, if they play that way, they have the Cowboys. I guess I'm trying to think here. They would be eight. I, I'm guessing, yeah, eight and five. So with three games left, you have the Cowboys, uh, the Niners, and the Cardinals. Two of those are winnable. Yeah, at this point, they have to beat the 49ers, I believe. I believe the 49ers, I'm trying to think where that game's played. I mean, it's still going to be in California, no doubt. But um, in depending on that game's in uh, Santa Clara. Do, the, right. So the 49ers could be possibly fighting for the one seed over Seattle. Well, I guess depending on what happens, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But um, they, you know, if they were to have the one seed locked up, then maybe. You know, maybe they, I don't know. Uh, really what's going to have to come down to is for right now, from the standings that I've kind of seen, uh, the Bears, I believe, play Minnesota this week. And we, I say we, as a fan base for the Rams, have to hope that the Bears upset Minnesota or that Minnesota goes kind of on a losing streak. Um, and Because that is what's in the way of the Rams making the playoffs right now, even if they win out. Uh, Jones, if that does happen, we are talking about three teams from the NFC West in the playoff. Uh, two of those teams that would end up making it would have much better records than Dallas, and one of those teams most likely would face – actually, one of them would face Dallas at home in the playoffs and have a better record. It's silly. Well, that makes something. I mean, we could really see this Rams-Dallas matchup, and we could see a – 11 and 5 Rams team face a realistically 6 and 10 or I guess more it would probably more be like 7 and 9 Dallas team in Dallas in the first round of the playoffs. How much would that piss you off as a fan? Uh if we went in there and just beat Dallas again, uh, I would be ecstatic. Actually, I would want Dallas uh because the other division winner would be I guess it wouldn't be the same. It would be the Saints and the Niners with the bye, and then that would mean the Rams would probably go to Lambeau Field, uh, and definitely don't want to play Aaron Rodgers. So I, I, you know, for this, for what it being is right now, considering the Rams' record, the Rams' chance of making playoff, if the Rams do indeed make the postseason, I really hope that we play Dallas in Dallas again because uh, I don't think the Seahawks. If that shakes out and three NFC West teams make it, really don't think the Rams or the Seahawks would want to go to Lambeau. I think they would much rather take that and go to Dallas. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, Seattle was on the losing end of that game, uh, picking up, I believe, their uh, third loss of the season for Pete Carroll's squad. 
uh, putting them at 10-3. and three. Russell Wilson, he played okay, not great. Uh, the run game with Chris Carson, he had 76 yards on the ground. Uh, but, I mean, they just never really got going. And uh, the, the talent's there. They have weapons that Seattle team is. And sometimes, Tom, it looks like that Seattle has the best offense in the league. And then other times we see uh, games like last Sunday where they completely just lay an egg out of nowhere. This Seattle team at 10-3, and three, I'm very confused by that bunch. And I'm, I've talked about it a lot this season, too. There's games that, I mean, if you look at it, if they're 10-3 and three right now, they every bit of shit have lost to the Rams the first go-around because Greg Zerline missed that field goal by about a foot. Uh, they get the win in San Francisco, I believe, on what is also one of the better games of the year, and that was, I believe, in overtime. Uh, and they beat there's another they beat the Bengals by like one point in one of the first games of the season. You know, for what it is, and I you know how much I hate the Seahawks. Um, and so I, I I can't help but show bias. I'm not gonna be I'm only human. Um, they're after all. Right, they're after right. Yeah, you're you're wonder wall of the NFL here because their record could be a lot different. I would like to see the stats if we could go. If we had, that's what we need on this show, Jones. We need a standby stats guy um, for things like this. I would like to see, out of all their games, what the point differential is because I know it's not very much. Um, could be a much different Seahawks team, but we talked about it last week too. They have found ways to win, um, and that's all that matters. They're still sitting pretty at ten and three uh, with a pretty good shot actually a really good shot if not guaranteed a wild card spot yeah it's uh pretty tight right now with uh how things stand as far as that goes so here's the playoff picture at the moment and uh, since we're talking about the nfc let's start there with uh, that situation your number one seed is the san francisco 49ers after the win that they had against the New Orleans Saints a week ago. And then after that, you have in the uh, number two seed, the uh, Packers uh, holding that Rams spot right now. And uh, then the uh, spots after that, the Saints are the three and Dallas is the four. Your wild cards right now are the Vikings and the Seahawks. And uh, the Seahawks, of course, at the fifth seed, the Vikings at the sixth seed. Tom, the Vikings are at 9-4. and four. I think the Seahawks pretty well certain are going to get into this point. Do you think that the Rams or any of these teams are going to get enough help from the Vikings down the stretch to possibly slip a couple games here? You know, I think, I mean, it's going to have to take that. And, and if you really want to be, I guess, realistic about the whole thing, uh, um, it's really the Rams left in the hunt. I mean, I think the Bears, I guess, would be in a way right there, but the Rams would have the tie break over the Bears. Um, I'm going through looking here, trying to see who the Vikings will have. I, like I said, I think they have – I'm pretty sure they have the Bears this weekend. Um, and – as of obviously, as a Rams fan, and if Vikings have the Chargers, the Packers have the Bears oh, this week, and the Vikings the with the Chargers, uh, the, that game on the road, and then the the uh, Packers at home, and then the Bears at home. Right. So, 
I think out of that, I mean, did you see what the Chargers did to Jacksonville this past weekend? I mean, Jacksonville's not looking too pretty either right now. Well, I mean, the Chargers didn't look too pretty there for a while. I mean, I'm looking at this in really a lot of hope putting behind this because, uh, you know, the Vikings have to keep their end of the deal up as well. Um, and so if that can happen, if the Vikings falter there, um, then, you know, this would be the first time that three teams from the same division got in since the last time we talked about it on the show, which was a couple of weeks ago. I forget who, what three teams from which division got in. It was in. 06, the Ravens, Steelers, and Bengals all made the postseason. That's, that's right. So we're talking 13 years. You might, This is like kind of a, in a, in a way, that would be an NFC West triple crown. I don't think it's any bold to say that the NFC West is the best division hands down in the in you know and out of all the divisions in the NFL right um, so with that being said Tom um at the NFC right now the NFC picture with the uh way things stand I feel like one two three five and six could all have a lot of movement the only real and really, the four seed, um, I mean, we know it's going to be the Cowboys or Eagles, obviously, but it will be the NFC East in that four seed. This playoff picture in the NFC could look totally different here in three weeks uh, remaining in the regular season. There's a lot of movement. We kind of have an idea who four, maybe even five of these teams are in the postseason, but as far as where they're arranged, still a lot of football left to be played. Yeah, there. I mean, this is like um, you know we see this a lot in the in the in the Western Conference of the NBA, where the last five games completely, you know, there are teams that you could be the third seed and end up being the seventh uh, by the end of the five game stretch, uh, and that's kind of how this feels right now. Right. Yeah, I get that. Uh, on the AFC side of things. The Ravens right now hold the one seed. The Patriots are the two. Chiefs are the three. And, of course, the Ravens and the Chiefs each have a tiebreaker over the Patriots. I think the Chiefs are going to win out the rest of the way. I think the Patriots will lose again. I fully expect the Chiefs to move in that next spot. Texans have the four-seed edge over the Titans right now, but the Titans could certainly make their way there. And then the uh, five and six seed, the Bills and the Steelers, uh, I would guess those guys are probably going to stay where they're at. Maybe the Bills even find a way to win the AFC East. That's not impossible. Um, you know that I, I feel like the, that we might see some slight changes in seating, but really the most interesting thing right now, I think, Tom, is going to be who comes out of the AFC South, whether it's the Texans or the Titans at this point. Yeah, you know, it's a lot less exciting, obviously, than the NFC. Uh, I mean, the teams are pretty much set other than the Titans and Texans. I mean, who do you get there? Uh, I mean, for, you know, a good stretch in point, the Texans seem like that they had it together that, you know, and they, you know, they still do. They've had a great season so far. Uh, but really, I guess the big shocker is Ryan Tannehill. If you would have told me that at the beginning of the season, uh, I would not have believed it. I mean, I almost appreciate what he's doing. Uh, you know, set himself up for a contract extension. It'd be interesting to see what Marcus Mariota, I'm guessing he would be technically on a contract year if James Winston is as well. Um, so that'll be an interesting storyline headed in the offseason. 
especially if the Titans can pull that off. Right, right. You're going to have the Titans, Texans, Steelers, and Bills all with similar similar records, and one of them is going to miss the postseason. But other than that, that group is uh, you got what S- you know seven teams competing for six spots compared to the NFC. Uh, you got about what you know seven eight teams competing for six spots. So we'll see what happens. But uh, that's kind of the NFL playoff picture as it stands right now. Speaking of playoffs. The college football playoff is set. It will be in the Peach Bowl, number one LSU taking on number four Oklahoma. And in the Fiesta Bowl, it will be number two Ohio State taking on number three Clemson. Thomas and I are not going to pick these games today. We're going to save that for a couple weeks from now because we have some buildup still to this playoff. Um, But looking at where this playoff set up, The committee had everything put in front of them. They didn't really have much work to do. Much labor uh, was needed from them on their part. Uh, The only real controversy was who was going to be the number one team, whether it was LSU or Ohio State. LSU's got four wins against top 13 teams. I know Ohio State has been so dominant all season long on everybody on their schedule. They have quality wins, but LSU, the way they just manhandled number four Georgia in the SEC championship game, it was hard not to put LSU as the number one team. So I agree with that. That was real easy for them to do uh, as far as that goes. Oklahoma had every break go their way to get in this postseason. They had Oregon lose against Arizona State a couple weeks ago. Not only that, but the way they got here, they got every break along the way, winning Two close games against Baylor, a close game against Iowa State, a close game against TCU, and their one loss against K-State, they happened to rally to make it a seven-point game in the fourth quarter with uh, with that uh, K-State team uh, backing off defensively a bit, uh, playing uh, bump-and-run defense of sorts. So that allowed Oklahoma to get into that game. So Oklahoma got a lot of breaks but still deserved that fourth playoff spot, of course. On the other side of the playoff bracket, Clemson and Ohio State, um, you know, that Ohio State team is so good. They're so stacked uh, to get this point. It was certainly deserved for them to get here. Um, no one's doubt that. That two seed, the thing is, this was this top four is the best playoff we've ever seen so far to this point in time with having three undefeateds. But there is a gap to that fourth team, that fourth Oklahoma team. And if you're Ohio State, you worked hard all season long, you feel like the number one seed, and your reward is you get to play Clemson, the defending national champions. We're, we're looking at odds right now, and at the moment, Clemson is favored to beat Ohio State. Now, I know a lot of folks are going to overlook Clemson because they haven't really played anybody all season long. But here's the deal. They're still the defending champs. They still have Trevor Lawrence, Justin Ross, one of the best wide receivers in the country, Travis Etienne, one of the best running backs in the country, a stout defense that's incredible. I feel like, Tom, that at this point in time, Dabo Sweeney and Clemson, with winning two out of the last three national championships, with their only playoff losses coming at the hands of Alabama, one in a semifinal and one in a national championship, we have to give... Dabo and Clemson, the same respect that we would give Alabama and Nick Saban in the same situation. And what I mean by that is we have to look at this game 
as if, okay, what is Dabo Sweeney going to do when you give him 30 days to prepare for Ohio State and then 11 days to prepare for either LSU or Oklahoma? To me, I said I'm not going to pick this game, but I'm leaning towards Clemson right now to win this football game uh, with knowing that they've been waiting for this moment all season long. The talent level is toe-to-toe right there with Ohio State. And Ryan Day, as good as the job he's done in his first year at Ohio State, it is going to be hard for me not to favor Davo Sweeney and this Clemson squad to get it done in uh, that Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, that is going to be hard. And, and I mean, it's essentially one of the – it's obviously a neutral, neutral side because, you know, that game being in – is it Tempe or Glendale? It's uh, Glendale. Right, it's in Arizona, being away, you know, that far from Ohio and that far from Carolina, the Carolinas. Uh, I mean, I think obviously Clemson would have much rather been playing in the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. Um, but for what it's worth, uh, you have to respect Clemson. I, you know, we've talked about their games. What it was against uh, uh, Mac Brown gave him North Carolina money there. Right, and then I feel like there was another closer-ish game, but uh, dismantled Virginia. I didn't think they were going to cover that pretty much 29-point spread, and they did by a lot more than 29. Um, and then for them just being in that position that they are obviously in now and having Sweeney being there, it, who's it, you know they've lived in the postseason, um, versus you know Ohio State, who yes has been there before, but uh, it's not Urban Meyer, um, and, and you know it. It might be a little. I don't. How much? Okay, here's here's a good question for you, here, Jones. How much different do you feel about this game, coaching wise, if Urban Meyer is still the head coach at Ohio State? Um, I still think that Dabo Sweeney is a much better coach than Urban Meyer. Um, I well, would feel a little more confident, but even with that being said, Tom. Ohio State has not scored a point. The Big Ten has not scored a point in the college football playoffs since Ohio State won the national championship back in 2014. That is very true. Um, it's uh, Yeah, so, you know, I would lean more towards Clemson right now as well. Uh, I think they might have a, a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. I don't think that's unfair to say just because they haven't got a whole lot of attention compared to the other, even though, I mean, I feel like OU's even got more attention than Clemson. Uh, maybe some good and some bad, but obviously, you know, Trevor Lawrence isn't in New, going to New York. Jalen Hurts, that storyline from coming to Alabama and just the previous two Heismans at OU and the season that he's had. Uh, I mean, OU's got more attention than this Clemson team. Uh, and so you're dead on the nail. Of you know LSU's been undefeated all season, so is Ohio State. Both great seasons, both great quarterbacks, both great on defense, all these things. And then you know, for LSU to get the one seed, you you mentioned a gap. Yes, there's a gap. Um, so for LSU to get OU, and then you're you know to get the two seed, the consolation prize is oh you get to play the defending champs when you really could have been playing OU. And, I mean, that's no slide against OU, but you, you you said it. There's a gap there. And I don't know how sizable that gap is. I don't know what our opinions on how big the gap is, but it doesn't matter how big it is because it is there. And, you know, Ohio State's saying, man, wish we could have been playing OU. Right. Well, and think about this, too, is that 
this uh, Ohio State team going up against Clemson. You got an Ohio State bunch that has two Heisman finalists in, in uh, you know in, in Justin Fields and uh, on the other side of the ball in uh, their big fella um, Chase Young. Chase. I mean, just they're so outstanding. Everything has gone their way. They've done everything that's asked of them, and they go up against this Clemson team that. Dabo is trying to play off this disrespected thing, which I find silly and laughable that he's trying to play this up, but he is. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, has Clemson been forgotten about to an extent? Yes, but they've still been in the top three all season long. They played nobody all year. Um, now, I'll say this. It's not their fault they played nobody all year. Tom, did you realize, and I don't know how many people realize this, because – they do it every year um, with that game against South Carolina at the end of the year. They have two wins against SEC teams. They beat A&M and they beat South Carolina. Did, did you even remember that besides their ACC slate that they just you know wiped the floor with, that they also beat two SEC teams in the, at the same time? They did what they were supposed to do and then some. The schedule didn't work out for them to play any top 25 teams other than Virginia, but that's not their fault. They did their job. They did do their job, and they played an A&M team and, and won. Uh, that A&M team went on to face five, which I think is the most that I can ever remember, five number one teams in the same season. I, I, maybe it was three, actually. Maybe three, but their five losses come against, you know, top 25 teams. Uh, and then South Carolina's no scrub either. Uh, they took down Georgia and, and what was uh, almost Georgia's demise. Uh, in a way. So with that said, uh, Clemson, you know, it wasn't their fault that they didn't necessarily play anybody, but we've talked about this with other teams. They did what they had to do. I mean, you can only play who's on the schedule, uh, and, and they didn't falter. Uh, they almost did against North Carolina, but, you know, they won when it mattered, and now they're the three seed and, and playing neutral site against Ohio State team that would much rather be playing OU. Yeah, they would. They would. That other game, LSU and Oklahoma, credit where credit's due of the offseason changes made by both these teams. LSU and Ed Orgeron, they recognized their offense was not good enough to win a championship with what they had a year ago. Joe Burrow, who has had a fantastic season, he's going to win the Heisman Trophy later this week. His completion percentage last year was 59%. He was not that great last year, Joe Burrow was. That offense was not that spectacular. Then he brings in Joe Brady as their passing game coordinator from the New Orleans Saints, who was the quarterback coach. They run the Saints offense and bring it from New Orleans to Baton Rouge, and it it's a college offense is what it is. It's the same as an air raid, essentially. And they worked it to perfection. Joe Burrow breaks every record. Credit where credit's due. I mean, that hiring to pair Joe Brady and Joe Burrow together, not only did it save Coach O's job, it took him to another level. And to me, that was so life-changing for LSU to make that change. And they need to do whatever they can to keep uh, Joe Brady at this point in time because that offense is just electric and took that team to another level. On Oklahoma's side of things, the defense has been so bad for a long time, even when Venables was there, who might be the best D coordinator in college football out of Clemson. Venables kind of struggled towards the end there at Oklahoma. 
And Mike Stoops, it was a bad tenure. They bring in Alex Grinch, who was at Ohio State and Washington State before that. And is the defense one of the top defenses in the country? No, it's not. But it's the best defense in the Big 12, statistically. Total yards and points allowed right now. Um, you know, they, they went to another level. They went from one of the worst def- defenses in the country to being best in the Big 12. Uh, their defense won them some big-time games. Won them again, the game against Baylor. Won them the game against TCU down the line. OU would not be in this position without their defense because, quite frankly, Jalen Hurts, although he's a Heisman finalist and he's had 50 touchdowns this season, Jalen Hurts has kind of hurt his team, put them in some bad situations where the defense had to bail them out. So credit where credit's due. If OU doesn't hire Alex Grinch and if LSU doesn't hire Joe Brady, neither one of these teams are in the playoff right now. I can guarantee that, Tom. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a fair assessment. I mean – uh, I mean, even, you know, it wasn't, I wouldn't say an old school OU defense year, uh, but they did get a lot better. Uh, Murray being that number one factor on defense, I mean, kind of reminded me of a Ray Lewis or Brian Urlacher as far as leadership on the field goes. And as much as I hate OU, he's one of my favorite Big 12 players uh, and is going to be a great NFL player. Um, so, him leading that defense along with Grinch who stepped up and is obviously shown some improvement with this defense and what was God and a God awful defense the season before. Uh, you're, you're a hundred percent right on if, if OU doesn't hire, you know, the Grinch and then we're not seeing them in. And as far as Brady at LSU, what he's been able to do with that offense and, a you know, kind of in a, obviously the SEC in a, in a conference that they don't, that's not SEC to not, at least to me, you don't really see that type of offense in the SEC. They were kind of able to go against the grain and go back to the, you know, the Mettenberger days almost uh, and and do that. So it'll be, you know, a lot of, obviously the focus will be on Ohio state Clemson and that will be a hell of a game. I'm I'm super stoked for that, but, uh, I, I think a lot of people are already counting out OU, and at first I was counting out OU, but never can never can tell with the Sooner Magic in, in both these teams with their hires. Um, if that will be kind of a storyline going forward there. Uh, I haven't looked at the line yet. I know it's early. Um, assuming it's LSU by nine, I could be wrong. Yeah, line right now has LSU by 14 at the moment. Wow. That's pretty bold. I, I wonder how many people are taking that currently. Right. Um, There's uh, The insiders are saying that they put it so high because they know OU betters are going to come out and expect that line to come down a bit. Oh, yeah, I would imagine so. I guess, you know, I obviously don't know how Vegas works because I scoffed at Clemson being a pretty much a 29-point favorite over Virginia and was proved wrong. Uh, that is why we don't bet real money in our pick'em, right? Uh, that would be also illegal too, but uh, that would be a good reason why, as, as far as that goes. But yeah, I'm looking forward to these matchups. I think that OU is going to give a better run than people expect against this LSU team. Um, you know, you you think about this, Tom. Uh, for OU, if they're going to contend with LSU they are going to have to play ball control football. It is going to be the opposite that you see from LSU, and 
kind of the opposite you've seen from OU in a bit. They're going to have to run the football. Jalen Hurts, they're going to have to call QB power about every other play like Lincoln Riley has been doing as of late. But I would not go with the no huddle. I would take your time, be patient, be a physical team, turn this into a physical football game, try to win at the line of scrimmage, and uh, try to shorten the clock and go that route. Uh, get the ball to CeeDee Lamb when you can, but otherwise win this game at the ground. LSU, their defense, um, that has been their weakness this year. I'd go after that defense and try to shorten the game. I think that's the game plan for OU, ultimately their best shot at victory uh, against LSU. It goes against everything we know about Oklahoma, but uh, it's not about making this a track meet. It's about making this game a sprint. Yeah, it really is. And, and you know, for OU, they as, as well as they play the hurry up, and you, we've seen flashes of them being able to score quickly. Uh, at the same time, you don't want to give LSU the ball either. And, and while OU's defense has been really, really good, uh, I would I would take LSU's offense this season, obviously, over any of the Big 12 offenses this season. And that is quite out of the ordinary. I would not necessarily say that any other given year that you could even put forward. Um, with that said, though, OU's going to have to – I'm trying to think. There was a game here not too long ago where – they played keep away, uh, and, and OU's going to have to learn to do that. And you had mentioned that you give Dabo Sweeney 30 days to prepare for Iowa State. Well, Lincoln Riley also gets 30 days to prepare for, you know, prepare for Coach O and uh, in, in company. I guess you could say the same thing. Coach O has 30 days to prepare for Lincoln Riley. Everybody's uh, got 30 days. I, I know. You get 30 days. I get 30 days, you know. Everybody's getting 30 days, but at the same time, that's what's great about that length in time is, you know, the talent is pretty equal across the playoff teams uh, for the most part anyway. Um, that being said as well, we get to see who's – that's maybe the most exciting part that nobody really talks about is, you know, coaches get to game plan this long – uh, for a team, and, and it really shows the coaching true colors, who's actually really a good coach, and, and you know, which coaches are, you know, blessed with just the talent that they have, uh, you know, gotten in the recruiting field. Right, right. We talked about in the Peach Bowl that we see there's a big coaching advantage for Dabo Sweeney as opposed to Ryan Day. When you look at this, uh, in this or I guess that was the Fiesta Bowl, in this Peach Bowl, between Coach O and Lincoln Riley, Tom, who would you give the advantage to, or is this pretty even between this a coaching matchup between Lincoln Riley and Coach O? Lincoln Riley's coached in playoff games before, but when you include his time as OC, he's 0-3. He's never won a college football playoff game. Right. I mean, obviously neither is Coach O, but, uh, you know, OU – does have Jalen Hurts? I don't think there's a play, there's not a player on OU or on on LSU's roster that has playoff experience. How much does that actually matter? I don't. I mean, I guess we're gonna find out uh, because there's obviously OU players that have you know been to the college football playoff before. Uh, I don't believe one LSU player has played in the playoffs unless there's a grad transfer. You know, I don't. I, I don't watch LSU that much or delve into them, and I don't think you do either. Uh, so it's pretty, you know, would be safe a safe bet to assume that OU has however many 
college football playoff experience players, and LSU has none. You also have Jalen Hurts that has been there and done that. Will that play a factor? I believe so. Uh, because even though LSU is riding high, uh, and, and even though it's going to be in Atlanta, it's just, that's, do you agree it's going to be essentially a home game for LSU? Um, I think that it, it's going to be probably 60-40, 65-35 LSU. I mean, it's far All enough right. away that uh, OU fans and LSU fans will both travel to an extent. Um, where LSU fans do have an advantage, though, is that I mean, this is their lone bowl trip. Uh, if they go to the national championship, it's new in New Orleans. They're not having to pay anything. You can sleep in your own bed in Baton Rouge and go to the uh, national championship that night in New Orleans. Um, so that they do have an advantage in that regard. Um, but I would say, Tom, we we mentioned that yes, there isn't you know anyone on this LSU team that's played in the college football playoff before. I would equate that to say that the SEC championship feels almost as big as a college football playoff game. It was in the same stadium a week ago there in Atlanta. They went up against a number four team in Atlanta. It was do or die. If they lost that game, there was a chance they could have fallen out of the playoff. Uh, there was no guarantees there. So um, I feel like just that SEC championship game could go a long way in getting this team ready for OU. Yeah, and, and not to mention they, I mean, they dominated Georgia, so... Solid point there. Yeah, I didn't even think of that, to be honest. So uh, that could be. And, I mean, I guess, you know, pretty much every year I would say the SEC championships, essentially college football playoff, you know, play-in game. Um, so maybe that's – maybe that is an experience in itself. Uh, you know, it being played in the same stadium – uh, I'm, I'm sure that gives a, a slight edge somewhere, even the smallest bit. Um, I mean, at first look, I think everyone's kind of taking LSU. Uh, that's a fair. I think that's fair right now. Um, I think this this is, you know, for OU being 0-3, uh, you know, if they were to upset LSU and do this, that would just continually add to the ridiculous resume of Lincoln Riley. Would I be shocked if they're able to do this, give Lincoln Riley 30 days? Uh, that will really add, you know, give him 30 days, let him beat LSU. Uh, you want to talk about a coaching legacy at a young age? Uh, there's a lot to be written, a lot to be potentially written if things go in the way of the Crimson and Cream. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Last thing uh, on college football before we bring in Chris Lilly here, uh, Tom. Uh, the Heisman Trophy we mentioned going to be given out this Saturday. Uh, everyone knows that Joe Burrow is going to get that prize. Uh, there's no uh, any guessing about that. Pretty cut and dry that he's going to win it. But the finalists with Chase Young and Justin Fields and Jalen Hurts there, no Chuba Hubbard. He gets left out despite winning Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year over Jalen Hurts. Um, you know, I feel for Chuba. I think that he should have been in there. Chase Young had a terrific season. He missed a couple games. Uh, Justin Fields had a good season. Uh, I would have put Chuba in over Jalen Hurts and maybe even over Fields and Chase Young. Uh, Chase Young, I felt like could have won it if he didn't miss those two games. Um, but with that being said, I feel for Chuba that he didn't make that, that final four. It's going to be easy to pick the winner of this, but the finalists per se – uh, they they probably didn't get it quite right of who got to get that trip to New York. Yeah, and it's uh, you know, a, you know, lo and behold, it's 
four players from three of the playoff teams. Uh, I mean, it's every year I feel like it's getting more so of a, are you a good quarterback or are you an elite quarterback in college football? Is your team an elite team or a blue blood? And is your team in the college football playoff? You check those three boxes, you're probably a finalist. Yeah, uh, it's becoming more that way. The emphasis on the playoff is greater than it's ever been before. I mean, you look at these bowls, and to me, Tom, I mean, I like that they're on, but my interest in the bowls themselves, if they're not a playoff game, uh, I'm kind of sleeping on it, per se. Even the New Year's Six Bowls don't have the appeal they used to because of the emphasis of the playoff. Right, and if it's not your team in it, uh, you know, obviously 4KU, it won't be long. Um, and you'll be watching the Capital One, what's in your wallet, uh, chicken sandwich bowl. Uh, with KU oh, I can't playing. wait to the day that KU <laughs> is going to be in uh, the uh, what? What's the Sun Bowl called this year? The Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Right <laughs> there, you go. You know, Frost. They're great. Um, exactly. <laughs> That's too good. Uh, but with that being said, like uh, you know, I'm obviously interested in the college football playoff. But the other only game that I can really say I'm going to sit down and watch, and I will watch a couple of them, uh, is that being, you know, OSU and and A&M, which is a cool matchup, uh, you know, Oklahoma State facing a former Big 12 foe. Uh, And that, you know, those are always cool games. Um, But, you know, who's going to watch the Orange Bowl with Virginia? Right, we know how that's going to work out. Right. I mean, no one's watching that, and and maybe it's time to shake up the bowl tie-ins, but those are pretty set in stone with, uh, you know, money back in those. So uh, it had the college bowl was great, and it will be even better when it's eight teams. Um, and it's it's been a lot better than the BCS as far as you know, actually getting to play for a championship. No one gets snubbed, uh, essentially for the most part. Um, but that being said, it has kind of taken away from the other bowl games. I mean, I, I mean, I don't. Who's in the Rose Bowl? Is it Penn State? Uh, the uh, Rose Bowl this year is Wisconsin and Oregon. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm trying. Yeah, see, I don't even know the tie-ins that well. But um, the Rose Bowl is supposed to be something special. But if it's not a college football playoff game, it kind of just takes away. And the Rose Bowl is supposed to be the classic. I mean, that's one of the most special ones. Um, and it just doesn't feel as special anymore. Uh, and it's that, you know, you, you pay the price sometimes for that. But, yeah, with that being said, Tom, I don't feel like I'm being shorted by any means. Like, I just care more about the playoff. I feel like it's just a new era of, of some sorts. It's uh, when, you know, you, you have friends in life that, you know, you enjoyed hanging out with them. And you cherish the time you had, but you got a new friend. The college football playoffs just my new buddy now. Right, yeah, there you go, yeah. <laughs> There's a meme about that. It's, uh, one of the, you know, the, such and such is my new best friend now. And that's what it does feel like, uh, which is okay. You know, you, it's an ebb and flow type situation. Sometimes they might not be uh, as good, and sometimes it, it might end up working out for you and, uh, you, it's a give and take, and by God, once we move to an 18 playoff, uh, you know we really won't care about the other bowls then. 
Right, we'll have a really new best friend that all of our other friends just hate. Right, it's it, eventually it will come down to that, and uh, you know I am ready for a world where the eighteen playoff is the thing. Right, me too, me too. Uh, let's go ahead and bring in Chris Lilly from Cake in Wichita. We're going to talk KU Chiefs and a number of things with Chris as he joins us on the other side, right here on the Jones Report. Joining us now on the Jones Report this week, he is the sports director out at Cake in Wichita, the ABC affiliate. It is Chris Lelly who is back on the Jones Report once again. Chris, I don't think we've had you on the pod since you made the move to Wichita. You have done a great job. You pretty much own that town now, uh, covering the entire sports scene in this state. Everything from KU to K-State, Wichita State, the Chiefs. Uh, I mean, you're all over the place, man. I mean, you're one of the hardest working guys in the biz, and uh, we're glad to have you on this week. What's happening? Yeah, appreciate the kind words. Uh, yeah, I was on a few times when I was in Topeka, but it's been a while. Uh, but yeah, Wichita's been great. It's a great, uh, great sports city, as you as you know. There's a lot of stuff happening all the time. So. Yes, it's been an awesome time. Yeah, and uh, a couple of the things there in particular, uh, you guys got a new minor league baseball team that's about to start in the spring that just revealed its name and jerseys and logos and everything. And then, of course, Wichita State basketball going on right now, too. Uh, a lot going on in uh, in that city. Yeah, the, the wind surge, the AAA baseball team, uh, and that's like one of the coolest things I can't wait for the triple a baseball season to start in april it's they're building you know a brand new stadium it's kind of pretty much it's they put in the field the sod and everything so it's starting to look like an actual baseball stadium that's like, super exciting um and then yeah they unveiled the logos and stuff and there's some mixed reaction but people have kind of settled down since then and i if i had to guess by when you know it's when it's all said and done people will just kind of call them like the wind wichita surge they'll kind of drop <laughs> the wind when talking about them, but I love some of the jerseys they have, the concepts, uh, but it's, yeah, it's big time to get a triple A baseball team. Um, and then Wichita state, yeah, basketball in full swing. They're have they're off to an awesome start and they get Oklahoma this weekend. Yeah, and uh, uh, Reeves, the uh, kid at Oklahoma, started his career at Wichita State. So that'll be interesting to see how that all goes about, of uh, that combination there. But uh, very exciting to see what's going on there. And I think Triple A baseball there in Wichita is going to be a major success. It's always been a great baseball town over the years with uh, having the NBC tournament. Wichita State baseball has a great tradition and such. Uh, I think they'll support it well. This should be uh, a lot of fun times ahead for uh, for that city to have a big time baseball like that uh, coming there. And the Marlins, uh, this is a team that has a big farm system right now of, of prospects on its way up. There'll be plenty of talent coming through Wichita over the years. Yeah, absolutely, because it's yeah, a byproduct of the Marlins being so bad for so long that their farm system's awesome, and they you know already had a couple of really big players come through last year, like Ison Diaz, who was mashing home runs for the Marlins by the end of the year, and they have some really good pitching prospects. And so, yes, yeah, so that'll be cool to see who comes up through through Wichita, and they also obviously get the Storm Chasers will come to town a few times because uh, they're in the PCL as well. So that's yeah, a lot of cool. And like you said, it, Wichita is a great baseball town. And the, the Shockers are kind of having their resurgence as well with the hiring of Eric Wedge, former NLB manager and everything. So it's kind of cool to see both kind of ticking upwards at the same time. Yeah, no doubt about that. That's exciting to see, to uh, say the least. And uh, 
Chris, uh, while we get a couple things out of the way before we talk too much shop here, I got to tell you, I know that you and I are big Whataburger guys uh, over over in and out and you know Shake Shack and all that stuff. I mean, Whataburger is number one. But I got to be honest with you, when I went back home to Tulsa this past weekend, I had one of those. I'm sure you've been down this route too. It almost feels blasphemous to say this, but I had a bad Whataburger experience. They got my mm. order wrong. It was cold. Uh, just everything about it. I mean, I was so disappointed. I almost feel like i have to go back to get like a restart so i don't have that you know sense in my mouth of everything of the last time i went to whataburger i need to go again to get rid of the bad uh time that i had just recently there yeah you, have to, you hate to see that yeah you definitely have to go get like a palate cleanser go restart fresh but yeah that sucks <laughs> every now and then it does happen to me as well yeah you know, we have such high expectations right. sometimes it's, they fall a little short uh, I went on Saturday, actually, and I was sad because the A1 Thick and Hardy is like my all-time favorite burger any place and where, anytime, I'll put that up against anything. Um, but it's, you know, it's in the four classics that kind of get rotated in and out. And in the one in Stillwater, they didn't have it, so I was very sad. But I got a double-double oh. with cheese. And so everything was fine. It was delicious. And uh, it was great to have Whataburger again because it is the best. Oh, Wait, yes. in and out. Get out of here, in and out. You don't need anything. Right, yeah. right. My my mom. I came home and she gave me a stack of Whataburger coupons. And I'm like, Mom, <laughs> this is great. Except one thing, I'm only gonna be near Whataburgers like maybe twice in this month, and they expire on the 28th. So I'll take a few, <laughs> but enjoy these on my behalf. I appreciate the thought, but I can't really use an entire stack of these. But uh, that's fantastic. Uh, I love the Whataburger, and uh, hopefully some uh, more visits, uh, better visits than my last experience there uh, as far as that goes. But Chris, uh, let's start out with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, This squad got a big-time win against the New England Patriots over the weekend in Foxborough. And to do the way that they did it, the defense coming through in some big-time moments, getting pressure on Brady, the secondary stepping up as well. This is what Steve Spagnuolo was brought in to do, and it certainly paid off. Uh, You could see a huge difference from this defense, the way they performed in the second half of 2019 versus where this team was at when they faced New England uh, last year in the the AFC Championship game. Huge win for this team, fueled by their defense. Yeah, which is maybe the best part about it, right? Like, if they go into Foxborough and Patrick Mahomes throws for 400 yards, four touchdowns, and they win, you know, in a shootout, it's like, okay, we knew they could do that, but that doesn't always happen when it comes, you know, time for the playoffs. You know, things tend to get a little lower scoring and for whatnot, for many reasons. But, yeah, it was great to see the defense come out and yeah, make Tom Brady uncomfortable and then you know, it looked like the Patriots were coming back, coming back. Then they had that huge fourth down stop. So, like, the defense literally won the game. You know, they were on the field last, and they stopped them. And you, you kind of mentioned it. It's been pretty crazy to see, just within even the last, since, like, mid-November, <laughs> the strides the defense has made, you know, against the Chargers, Raiders, and the Patriots. They've looked awesome. And their pass defense is, I think, kind of very underrated in what they've been able to do because if you remember, the pass defense was the worst of all time. Like a year ago, year and a half ago, it was so bad. And any time a team threw it deeper, I guess either getting caught or it's going to be pass interference. This is a dumpster fire. So now what Spagnuolo did, it's taken some time, which the players kind of said it would at the beginning of the season. They're like, hey, this isn't going to happen overnight. But Tyron Matthew is a beast. Chris Jones is amazing. And with those two guys and whoever you surround around them is 
it's fun to watch. But those two are kind of the catalysts on defense. They're amazing. Yeah, you look at the changes from this defense. Everybody wants to talk about Spagnola and the job that he's done, and that certainly deserves credit. But uh, I think Brett Veach deserves a lot of credit as well. You mentioned Tyron Matthew coming in. Uh, we've seen what Frank Clark's done this year, Alex Okafor. Uh, before he got hurt, Emmanuel Ogba was leading the team in sacks. I mean, the personnel changes, they completely redid this defense in the offseason, and they did it at a price that didn't really cost him a whole lot, I felt like. I mean, you had a couple pricey players maybe in like Frank Clark and such, but to consider the circumstances of knowing that they had to pay Tyreek Hill and they're going to pay Patrick Mahomes, and yet they still were able to put together this type of defense, uh, I was certainly impressed. Brett Veach deserves a lot of credit for that bunch. Yeah, he deserves credit for kind of flipping the script on the kind of the narrative of his career so far because, I mean, he is before this year, his draft classes on defense haven't been amazing. You know, he's had some whips um, like two, three years ago. If you look at the defensive guys, you're like, eh, 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 I don't know about this. But, yeah, he really kind of saved himself when it came to drafting, you know, like Juan Thornhill. He's been really good. Uh, and then through free agency, kind of assembling these kind of mix and match, these guys that have turned out to be really good. So, yeah, Beach has done a good job of uh, – kind of, yeah, evaluating the talent and deciding, you know, who they needed to go after and who they needed to drop, you know, going into the year. Right, and uh, this team right now, with where they stand, this this record, four losses on the season with three games to go. Chris, I think that going into 2019, if you would have told me that they were at this point, I would have said something had to have gone wrong with this group, and sure enough, Everything, it seemed like, went wrong with all the injuries that stacked up. Even Patrick Mahomes gets hurt. But here they are. The two-seed is still within reach. They can still, obviously, get a first-round bye, win the AFC, win the Super Bowl and all that. Even with all that they've dealt with, everything is still in front of this team right now. Uh, I mean, they, they have certainly been battle-tested and faced some adversity this year, uh, this bunch has. Uh, it's, it's great to see them still be in this position despite all that they've gone through. Yeah, and that's kind of the crazy part of it. Cause like you said, in the middle of the year, you know, once you know Mahomes went down and they lost a game or two, and it was like, I don't know, this the defense doesn't look awesome. The offense is obviously struggling. Like they've already lost three or four games. Maybe this isn't the year. Maybe they, you know, they took they regressed way more than everyone thought. But now you look at it, they're the best record. They're two games off the best record. You know, one game behind you know, getting a bye. So it's definitely possible. Uh, Way, I feel way better now than I did if I was a Chiefs fan like three weeks ago. Cause now they're kind of, you know, that dark horse, sexy pick to like, hey, you don't want to play the, this Chiefs team once the playoffs come around because the defense is coming around. And then with Patrick Mahomes, anything's possible. You can win any game with him. No doubt. No doubt about that. And Patrick Mahomes, I know that he's kind of struggled uh, the last couple weeks. He hasn't played to his full potential anyway. I don't know if struggle is necessarily the right word. Yeah. but um, I mean, with that being said, I feel like that it's not a matter of if but when that we're going to see Patrick Mahomes back to playing like we're normally expect him to see him playing. I think that the expectations are so high because of the MVP level we've seen from Patrick Mahomes uh, that we just think that that's going to happen every week. But in the National Football League, that's not a reality. Uh, I'm not concerned. Are you concerned about this offense right now of, of where Mahomes in this group is at? Oh, absolutely not. No, though. Like I said, I wouldn't even say – Patrick Mahomes has struggled. I guess he struggled up to the yeah, the expectations that we put him on because 
of his insane MVP season last year, but he's had 280 yards, touchdown, interception. Like, that's good. I mean, it was not, like, great, but he's... And the thing is, on some of the throws, it's just been, like, a tad off. The timing's just not quite there for whatever reason. So I think, yeah, he's he's due for, you know, a a throwback Patrick Mahomes game uh, from yesteryear of, you know, where he's thrown four touchdowns, 400 yards, and closer to the early years of the season, like when he dominated the Raiders. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm, I would not be worried. The one, one thing I may be worried with the Chiefs offense is just the running game, but with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, you can kind of disguise that weakness with a lot of different things. Right, and you can use other ways to essentially run the ball. Your screen pl- yeah. passes yep. can be de facto run plays of some sorts. I mean, there's other ways to work around it. Who do you think is going to be the guy getting the majority of the carries the rest of the way? We've seen uh, one day it's LaShawn McCoy, another day it's Damian Williams, another day it's you know Darwin Thompson against the Raiders and such. Is there a number one running back, or do you still think it's kind of by committee who's got the hot hand each game? Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, gone that committee route, and that's also been because of injuries and stuff. So it'll be interesting, yeah, when when it comes to playoff times when there is no, you know, guaranteed of the next game who gets most of the carries. My guess would be, you know, LaShawn McCoy, and I think that's kind of what they've been saving him for all year. You know, they haven't been riding him maybe as hard as they could because they're like, hey, like we, we're going to need you in the playoffs, so we, we want to keep you as healthy as we can and keep the miles down on you this season. But, yeah, it's... Sean McCoy, too, the way he carries the ball this year has been infuriating for Chiefs fans. Of just the way he's, you know, so loose with it, and he's fumbled it a few times. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, when it's all said and done, it has to be Sean McCoy just because of his experience, and he's still, he's still got some juice left in the tank, old Shady. Yeah, he does. Shady McCoy. Yeah, he's been uh, fun to watch, and hopefully there's uh, some good football left in his uh, future the rest of the way in 2019. That receiving core, we know Tyreek's been the man, and he's had a couple injuries there this year, but for the most part, he's been fantastic. Uh, Then after that, it's been very wide open. We saw Robinson, beginning of the year, do real well. Uh, I mean, McCole Harbin has had an impressive rookie season. Sammy Watkins has been kind of up and down at this point in time. Uh, Who do you think needs to be that number two guy for Kansas City. Is it uh, going to be McColl taking that next step, or is Sammy, you think, still the, the number two guy for this group? Yeah, I, I don't think it's Sammy, or else it would have happened more often than it has, because I don't know, let's see, from his he had like one or two really good games at the beginning of the season, and since then he's kind of disappeared, whether it be injuries or not, because he's it's kind of a story with him. If he's healthy, he's really good, but he's never quite healthy. Um, it's my, their number two is obviously Travis Kelsey, but you know he's tied in right, as far right. as receiver goes. I Hardman is, I love McCole Hardman. I think you know that was an awesome draft pick. Of he's just so fast. <laughs> he's not maybe not quite as Tyreek Hill fast, but just his breakaway speed. You know he'll, he'll catch a slant. Looks like the defender has a good angle on. Him. Nope, burning for a touchdown. So I think you know as the games go on, continue to go on. I like, you know, him making, he won't get the uh, targets or the receptions, you know, where he's, you know, double digits or whatever, but it, all he needs is one catch and he breaks it off for a touchdown. So he's my favorite, like, difference maker that's kind of, you know, maybe lower down as far as usage and everything. Um, but, you know, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, that's a, a hell of a one-two punch. And anyone else that kind of steps up, Marcus Robinson, you know, he's a solid wide receiver, but, he, you know, I, I don't think he's quite up to that elite level that, that you know, the flashes that Hardman shown, obviously. Uh, Hill and Kelsey. 
Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about that. Uh, Chris, let's move on. Uh, let's let's talk college football now. Uh, I know that uh, you know K State. They got a big bowl game coming up. I know they would have liked to been at maybe Orlando or got the trip to San Antonio, but instead they're off to Memphis for the Liberty Bowl. And uh, I believe you'll be there seeing them play Navy. Uh, impressive year for Climate and Company that first year in uh, Manhattan to put together this squad, get the big time win against Oklahoma. You beat your rival in KU pretty handily here. Uh, Certainly, I I would say that Kleiman surpassed all expectations for his first year there in Manhattan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, and I I will be at the bowl game uh, on 31st against Navy. And, you know, there was a lot of, yeah, K-State fans were upset, but the bowl process has always been super subjective. They'll pick big names, which is, you know, unfortunate, I guess, for K-State fans, but you know, all they can do is show out in Memphis, you know, with a big falling like they normally do and then put together a great product on the field. And then, you know, maybe things start to change down the road. But, yeah, this team has been a lot of fun to watch this season. It's been, it was kind of up and down for a little bit. Uh, but that, that loss to Baylor at the time was like, uh-oh, but Baylor turned out to be really, really good. Um, the West Virginia loss was concerning. But, yeah, like I said, <laughs> beat number five Oklahoma by a touchdown and then um, – beat Iowa State, you know, at home during the year. It was, it was climbing did awesome. I think the expectations were a bowl game, six and six, and to get, you know, above that and to play so well throughout the season, I think yeah, the future is very bright for K-State. And that's without, it's pretty crazy too, going into the season, they didn't have a scholarship running back. Or at one point, like when Chris Kleiman took over, they didn't have a scholarship running back that had played at K-State. Because wow. they had... Uh, Barnes went to the league or into, entered into the draft. And then uh, Harry Trotter was the only guy left on the roster. And he was a transfer from Louisville, so he had sat out all last year. So he had to go out and get James Gilbert and Jordan Brown to grad transfers. So what he's been able to do with, imagine that, you know, taking over a job and be like, actually, we really don't have a running back that has played at all here. So good luck. Um, and he went out and did a great job. And those guys have done really good filling in. Um, but yeah, it'll be fun to see kind of the different play style they both like to run the ball maybe in k-state but they obviously do it in different ways but near is even memphis the worst, worst places to be yeah and just the way that they emphasize running the football as you mentioned the fact that they had that circumstance and then turned into one of the best running games in the entire conference is quite the story it also stood out to me the evolution of skylar thompson we knew this guy had talent chris he had shown some signs of it here and there but the way that Kleiman was able to get so much out of him i mean to, to get him playing like colin klein at times running the football colin qb power over and over again uh i mean that i still have flashbacks to that ku game in my head yeah. of just over and over how much he was able to do that but still pass the football efficiently too i mean they, they really got a lot out of skyler thompson this year that most of us didn't see coming i thought he was good i didn't realize he was going to be that good yeah and we, we had seen flashes before and my, i think skyler thompson you know, I, I like this work he's got a lot of moxie you know, he's just got that yes. kind of that it factor. He's, you know, super tough, gritty guy. And in the past, you know, we saw flashes, but he wasn't the starter. You know, he was battling with Alex Delton. So, you know, if he made a mistake, you know, that was kind of always in the back of his mind. But he was given the keys, keys to the castle this year, and he's flourished. And it's kind of the perfect system for him, too, Chris Kleiman's offensive, uh, or Messingham's offense, Kleiman's offense, the same philosophy of, you know, we're going to, 
establish a run, whether that be, you know, the quarterback, the running backs, and then we'll do a lot of misdirection, play action and whatnot, and get Skylar Thompson on the move. And yeah, he's done really good of keeping it simple almost. And, you know, he's been able to throw over guys and stuff. It's been exciting to watch him kind of come on to his own and it'll be an exciting, you know, bowl game. And then I'm even more excited because, you know, quarterbacks normally take that next step in the second year in a system. So next year, like, look out, you know, he'll be even more comfortable. And uh, they've even brought in, you know, uh, Easton Stick, I believe his name was, uh, who's the, you know, North Dakota State quarterback, you know, who won multiple national championships and was the best quarterback at the uh, FCS level. And he kind of worked with Skyler at the beginning of the year to kind of be like, hey, this is what we need to work on. But, and, you know, Colin Klein still, you know, involved at the offense. That's a great mentor to have as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that cats are strong. No doubt, no doubt about that. Uh, KU, first year under Les Miles, three wins on the season. They had some big upsets over Boston College and Texas Tech. Uh, there were a lot of peaks and valleys, especially considering how that season ended, getting blown out at home against Baylor. What would you make of the first year of uh, the Matt Hatter and Lawrence? Miles to go. <laughs> yes. I was just getting up. It was a weird Yeah, It was a mixed bag. It was the opposite of, you know, K-State's where, you know, even though it is the first season, they had a lot of success and they're confident. But this way, with KU and Les Miles, like, hey, it's just the first season, you know, let them build. So it's kind of a weird juxtaposition. Um, there were some very bright spots, yeah, like, you know, going on the road and getting that road win against a Power 5 team in Boston College. And they played Texas really close, you know, kind of a moral victory, which, you know, take that as you wish. But, it was yeah, it was strange. Sometimes the offense looked really good at the beginning of the year. Looked terrible. Um, the switch to Brent Deerman I thought was really good, and he seems to have a bright future. And you know, kind of they, getting blown out against Oklahoma State was strange. Um, I thought you know they had some good chances against Iowa State, and then at the end of the year just getting crushed by Baylor. It was like the bookends of like okay, then, you know. I guess they actually, I even forgot, but the biggest question mark, Coastal Carolina, that blew my mind. I was at that game, yeah, and the offense couldn't do anything. And Coastal Carolina, I think it was their first win over a Power 5 conference, uh, P5 team, so that was strange. But the excitement is there for KU, and that's the less miles effect. And I think that's the biggest thing of, you know, getting these guys believing with the people they do have and being able to, you know, go into living rooms on the recruiting trail and be like, hey, we're building something special. And, you know, this is just the start. Uh, I would have, I thought, you know, Puka Williams, you know, if it was, you know, teams keying in on him or whatnot, but he didn't quite have that explosiveness. I don't know if you just saw the same thing. It was, he didn't have as many crazy, you know, breakaway uh, plays that he did in the open field as last year. I thought, um, could be wrong, but, you know, he ended up having a solid season, all big 12 player. But, you know, next year, you know, he's, he's the guy that needs to be the bell cat. Um, he needs to carry the offense and I think he will especially with obviously Carter Stanley graduating who knows what they're going to do a quarterback because I thought Thomas McVitie was the guy headed into the year and despite you know some of the early struggles he never even got into the field so it it'll be interesting what they do at a quarterback next year yeah and uh I don't know if Thomas McVitie certainly that guy I would guess that they're going to look at the transfer portal and see if uh there's a grad transfer quarterback of some sorts uh that they can possibly turn to it'll be interesting to see what uh happens with that KU program but you're one under less miles in the books with uh miles to go as uh, you said there uh hoops wise uh KU had a, a some big wins uh already 
in uh, this non-con, winning the Maui Invitational, everything, and with Texas Tech uh, getting the upset over Louisville, if KU can beat UMKC this weekend, they'll be the new number one in college basketball yeah. more than likely. Uh, Devon Dotson playing really well. We've seen Ochai, Udoka, some of these other guys have stepped up as well, too. Uh, what do you think of uh, Bill Self's squad for this uh, this season so far in Lawrence? Man, they look good. And I don't know, uh, ask you this real quick. They kind of have a feel of a team that can make it a deeper, and obviously they're ranked high, but this is kind of one of those Bill Self teams where they're like super talented at guard. Um, they've you know been there now a, a, a year and building on that year. Um, and then you got Doak down low. McCormick's played well. Sylvia's real quick. Does it have that feel? For you to where like like oh they're kind of piecing things together like this could be a dangerous team come March yeah. obviously that's always the expectations but for me when I've seen them they just kind of have that it factor that you know the team made a few years ago when they made that final four run yeah I agree I- I'm with you there because uh, I'm looking at Devon and I know that he's not the vocal leader that Frank Mason or Devonte Graham were um, you know that's just not his personality but. You look historically, Bill Self has had to have uh, a you know point guard essentially leading his team statistically and doing it at a high level. His numbers, getting close to 20 points a game and the assists and getting rebounds yeah. as well, I mean, even though he's a sophomore, those numbers are comparable to all the great guards that Bill Self has had. So you look at that, I think if they sort out they have to sort out this situation of are you going to play four guards or are you going to be a too big offense? And if they can get that worked out, choose one or the other and play well in that consistently, I'd lean towards four guards. If they figure that out here in the next couple of weeks, I think this team's in great shape. Yeah, and I, for whatever reason, you know, Self is sometimes reluctant to do the four guard lineup unless he's like absolutely forced to, like he was, you know, a year or two ago. But I mean, he likes the to having those two bigs because not everyone can have two dominant bigs, so that gives you an advantage. Uh, but yeah, they definitely have to find a way to where that coexists, and I think they are finding it with the McCormick Azubuki, uh, Matt, both being out there at the same time. I think they play well together, or at least they they did last night. But it's Milwaukee, so take that with a grain of salt. But and it'll be interesting. Azubuki needs to stay healthy for them to you know to their success in his career. When they've been really good, he's been healthy. The two years he's been hurt most of the year, they fizzled out in the tournament uh, quicker than they had hoped. And I'm really, I mean, Ochai Baji too is a stud. He's a, he's you know that ultimate. Yes. He can kind of do whatever you need him to do. He can shoot. He's getting his uh, shot back. You know, he made five threes last night. He got he athletic as anyone. He can throw down crazy dunks. He hustles. He plays really good defense. You know, he's one of my favorite players to come through there in a while. And it's crazy. Like at this point last year, he was still being registered, I think. So, yeah, he definitely was. So, that's a wild the strides that he's made in a year. Um, so, yeah, you have those two great guard play, and then Doak down low doing Marcus Carrot. You know, he can play great defense, and he's um, becoming a, a good facilitator as well, especially now that he's not the primary guy. I think that's kind of his better role. Um, I mean, Silvio, if he figures out kind of what to do, you know, coming off the bench and everything. He's, he can be a beast too. So it's crazy. And then my kind of, uh, guy that, you know, maybe they're like eight, uh, eight, 10th, ninth, 10th guy that comes off the, you know, the bench. I really like, uh, Tristan Inuruna. I think, you know, yes. he's super long athletic kind of, he can also 
fill any role that you need him to at six eight. <laughs> he's super lanky. He can play, get rebounds, play good defense. Um, so I kind of like him as that glue piece, and he and he's just a freshman, so he'll only get better as the season goes along. But this KU team has that special feel, and obviously, you know, like I said, as long as they beat UMKC, they'll be the number one team. So it's not going out on a limb saying that the expectations are high, but just the way this team is assembled, it just has that feel of one of those Bill Self teams that when they catch fire, they're going to be really good. Yeah, I agree with you. And you look back at that Duke game, I know they lost, but you commit 28 turnovers and you still are within two points of winning that game. Yeah. To me, that tells me you just clean up some stuff. This team is in great shape going forward. When You, you mentioned that you like them as a Final Four capable team. When you evaluate just the basketball teams in this state, since you're one of the few people that covers all of them, Chris. Where, yeah. where do you look at, at these teams right now? Do you think that the state of Kansas could be talking about two or three tournament teams with Wichita State and K-State? Where do you think those guys match up as far as their chances to uh, to go into the NCAA tournament? Ooh, good question. Um, I, I think it's going to be a two-tournament team for sure. Uh, and I think it's KU. Ooh hot take um and then i think wichita state will be the second one because they they are their ceiling is extremely high they've got you know greg marshall's highest rated recruiting class and they brought in and they kept you know a lot of guys obviously from last year because they had a bunch of freshmen they have 10 out of their 13 scholarship players are underclassmen um and they're hitting their stride right now they have awesome guard play with tyson Etienne, um and then they have eric stevenson Grant Sherfield, a lot, a lot of great guys that are. I, I think their ceiling is very high, and they're kind of playing that classic brand of basketball that Greg Marshall is known for, playing angry. Um, the shock is they've looked really good. They walloped Oklahoma State on a Sunday. They won by uh, twenty plus, and it wasn't even that close. It felt like it was it could have won by forty if they would have kept the gas in the pedal. And they get Oklahoma this weekend, and then BCU. So we really know kind of where they're at and they're starting to get some love you know in Ken Palm they're in the 30s um Andy Katz had Wichita State ranks 33rd so yeah I think this Wichita State team they and they think I believe that they're going to make a the NCAA tournament this year and K-State oof I, I at this point I don't see them making the NCAA tournament uh Bruce Weber's a very good coach so maybe they turn things around and you know make a run they have the talent but they're, they're a young team, and obviously when you graduate, Kamal Stokes, Barry Brown, Dean Wade, like you're going to go through some some growing pains. And uh, Weber's teams aren't always as pretty and offensively good as other teams. They struggle offensively, it seems like, every year, even with those guys that I mentioned. And so when you have a younger set of uh, talents, it's, some nights are rough, and like they were tied at the half with Arkansas Pine Buff or something like that. They've struggled against some bad teams, and they play Marquette actually really good. You know, they lose by, uh, it was eight points, and they played well against Howard. And so, you know, their defense is going to be there every night. And so with that, you know, you have a fighter's chance in every game. But it's disappointing that their uh, trip in the Fort Myers tip-off, and they, they lose to Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but Pittsburgh, they lost to Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh only made one three and had 20-plus turnovers, and they still wow. beat K-State. And I was like, oh, my gosh, how did, how, how did that happen? Uh, they, you know, they, K-State missed 10 free throws um, so that down the stretch. That'll obviously add to it, but it was, that was, I was like, I've never seen that. 
and then they lose to Bradley in the next game. So it was a disappointing trip for them. So their non-conference, you know, is never super strong, and they've lost the games that you know they they need to win to you know boost their resume. But they still have some ones that you know it'll look good. Mississippi State, St. Louis coming up, and Tulsa. So if they you know they beat those teams and. But, you know, if you finish in the top half of the Big 12, you're more than likely going to the NCAA tournament. So, but as of right this minute, I just have KU and Wichita State, and then uh, we'll see on K-State. But they have not looked pretty so far. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. No no question about that. Chris, uh, before we let you run here, where can people connect with you and see all the great stuff you're doing there at uh, Cake and Wichita? Yeah, um, Chris, uh, Chris Lilly on Instagram, uh, and then Chris underscore Lilly. TV on Twitter, and then it's like Cake News, Chris Lilly on Facebook, and I post stuff to all three of those all the time. So, yeah, give me a follow. It's fun. And I mentioned you got so much going on and doing great work and everything. You're getting married pretty soon, too, aren't you? Yeah, yep. Yeah, um, right around six months from let's say, uh, six months from Friday. It's upcoming Friday, six months. So, yeah. Get married in June in Chicago. It'll be exciting. That is awesome. Uh, happy for you, man. Yeah. And gl- great Thank to you. see so many things going your way and, and uh, continue to do some excellent work. Give this guy a follow. Uh, he, he does fantastic work, and uh, we appreciate him joining us. Uh, Chris, appreciate the time. Uh, sheesh, of course. I almost forgot to add that in. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk again down the line. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime. Big thanks to Chris Lilly for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges back here with you now. We'll get to our picks against the spread coming up here in just a few moments. But, uh, Tom, we were talking about it with Chris just a few moments ago. Uh, KU now in prime position to be the number one team in college basketball after they took care of Milwaukee over the weekend uh, on Tuesday night, rather. And then Texas Tech with a big-time win on Tuesday as well as they were able to defeat number 1-ranked Louisville. And starting with uh, the Jayhawks here, this is a team that's so loaded this year uh, with who they brought back, Yudoka Azebuki, Devon Dodson, Ochai Abaji. I mean, they were very young last year. and Their most experienced player, uh, Yudoka Azebuki, hasn't played an entire season healthy, and so far he's been that to this point. Uh, we knew that they were going to be really good in the uh, front court with their bigs with Doak and Silvio uh, DeSouza, who returned after being suspended all of last year, and David McCormick there. I mean, those guys are solid. But the guard play has been to another level this year for this Kansas team with the way Devon has taken off, averaging close to 20 points a game. He's doing better than what Frank Mason and Devontae Grant were doing at this point in their careers, very impressive from what we've seen from Devon Dotson. Ochai Abaji's played really well. He had a nice performance the other night against Milwaukee with 22 points. Uh, he has been outstanding uh, so far to start off this season. Uh, th- this Kansas team is stacked, and with Moss and some of these other guys, actually the four-guard lineup is probably going to be better for them going forward. I think that's a Final Four caliber team there in KU. But... With that being said, just because they're Final Four caliber doesn't guarantee they're going to win the Big 12 by any means. Texas Tech was without Ramsey, their best player, their leading scorer, uh, the other night when they beat Louisville and still got that job done. The losses that they've had 
Two of them were in overtime, very close games. Uh, a young team that's still learning to play together, and that Texas Tech team is just now starting to figure it out, and they're beating the best team in the country. First time in school history they've ever defeated an AP number one ranked team. If you thought the Big 12 was going to be down, if you thought Texas Tech was going through a rebuilding year of sorts, you would be uh, very sadly mistaken because although Kansas is the favorite right now, Texas Tech is back and they look like a team that's going to contend for the Big 12 and look like uh, one of the top 25 teams in America at the very least at the moment. Baylor's good. Uh, some of these other teams, I mean, this is another stacked Big 12 once again. We're a few weeks away from conference play, and KU and Texas Tech, I, I tell you what, uh, they are leading the pack, and they are going to be fun to watch to see where these teams are going to go. Yeah, I mean, for KU, going to be number one. Uh, Jones is a you know a KU fan, you being a KU fan and, and covering them. Uh, here lately, the number one team has had – the target on their back. I don't know. I, I guess I play the devil's advocate here with me real quick. KU is going to be number one. When do they get knocked off? If they get knocked off, I think they're, they're going to lose at some point this month. I think there's a good chance they lose on the road at Villanova here in a couple weeks. I believe that game's on the 21st. I think Stanford's got a chance to upset them. Uh, which that game would be uh, coming up on the 29th. Both those games on the road. KU has not had a true road game this year. Um, I would guess, Tom, that you know they're going to be number one come Monday, which will be the 16th. And then just a few days later, they play Villanova on Saturday the 21st. Then the 29th, they play Stanford. Uh, they will get to number one, but they will lose one of those road games and lose that number one ranking before it's all said and done. I think so. You know, at least you are. I, I Jones, I like that out of you. I am glad that you are a realist here and there. Um, so I would say Villanova is obviously probably the, uh, the most likely as well. But, hell, I mean, if you can, uh, you know, you, you can't, I think it would be hard to obviously maintain that one seed for a, a long period of time. I think it would be more of a testament if you get the number one seed, lose it, and then get it back. And I this, think this Kansas KU team, Tom, they won three true road games last year. That's it. They beat TCU, they beat Baylor, and they beat Oklahoma State on the road. They struggled on the road. And so I know that every season's a new season, but I can't help but think that their road woes are just going to be fixed all in one offseason. You go into a hostile environment. They're playing this game at the Sixers Arena. This isn't going to be on campus. One of those games, and it seems like Kansas uh, finds a way to let go of one every year in the non-con, it's going to happen. It's not a matter of if, but when this team falls in one of those true road games in the non-con. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still, uh, you know, something else to be ranked number one. I know it's nothing new to KU by any means, but uh, I think it's going to be more of a testament for this team to obviously get the number one seed by default, essentially. Uh, and then no slide on them, but it is, you know, obviously the number one team somewhere has to lose to to give that spot up. But I think for them it's going to be, in, you know, to get the number one seed, eventually obviously lose it. 
but if they can get it back, and I think this KU team can. Uh, you know, you mentioned them being a young team last season um, and, and going through what, you know, the injuries that they had, had to face last season and, and just some other off-the-court issues and, and you know, the, and all the NCAA stuff like that. So uh, I think KU is going to come back more experienced. I am with Texas Tech, you know, beating Louisville. Gives me some hope that this – you know, we talked about this last season too. We had a, you know, we had a really good talk, you know, last season uh, about Tech and KU and about how Tech is going to bring some, what would, you know, I guess you would call parity to the top uh, of the Big 12 basketball-wise. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. I, I can't, I don't know when the first Tech KU matchup is, but I'm ready for it. Oh my gosh, uh, it is going to be electric when those two teams meet. They're going to meet in Lawrence on February 1st. Have to wait a while before we see those two, and then they'll play in Lubbock to end the regular season on March the 7th. I might just have to go to Lubbock. That's how big of a game that's going to be uh, when it's all said and done. That might determine who wins the league uh, when they meet up on the uh, final day of the regular season. But Texas Tech is legit. I mean, that was so fun to see them get that win, to do it without Ramsey and everything. Um, I mean, Chris Beard has done a hell of a job there at Texas Tech. And, Tom, um, I think that we all looked at Chris Beard last year and like, okay, that's a great coach. But now we got to look at Chris Beard among some of the best in the country. Uh, top five, top ten. And I think that he's right up there with Bill Self in this league. I think it's those two. There's a lot of great coaches in the Big 12, but those two have separated themselves. I would put Chris Beard up there with the likes of Bill Self, Mark Few, Coach K, Tom Izzo, Roy Williams, Jay Wright. I think he belongs in that elite category right now. I uh, I think that that only makes this league better. It only makes Texas Tech better. It only makes it more of a challenge for Kansas to know that they have a top five or top ten coach in their conference in Chris Beard. Uh, credit where credit's due for this to what should have been a rebuilding year to turn into another contending year for this Texas Tech team. Yeah, no Culver, obviously, anymore, and, and you know, no Ramsey against Louisville. And, and they didn't just win on a buzzer beater. I mean, they beat this Louisville team. Uh, who they kicked their just, ass. Yeah, oh, yeah, 13 points. And this is a Louisville team that dismantled that Michigan team that was going on a run there for a while. Um, so, not, you know, it's it's funny we talk about KU and in, in obviously now Texas Tech, but just some other teams around the Big 12. What's uh, what's your boy Bruce Weber going to do um, at, at K State, and and you know what what kind of you know what type of place is Iowa State going to be in uh, this season? There's some other I wouldn't necessarily call them dark horses right away, uh, but there's some other teams that can shake this up, and uh, you know for the past two seasons the big the Big 12 has had just storyline on storyline as far as, you know, teams coming out of nowhere. And I think we're, you know, I think we're geared up for another season of that. Yeah, I think so. I think you're absolutely right about that. Let's go ahead and get to our picks against the spread this week. This is a very unique week for us, Tom, as we're only picking one college game and nine NFL games. This is to be the only time all year that we do this. So let's go ahead and get started. We'll start out with the one college football game we have. That's Army and Navy. Navy ranked 23rd in the country, 
And uh, they're going to play K-State in uh, the Liberty Bowl here in a couple weeks. Going to be quite the challenge for K-State to go up against that uh, Navy team who's a nine-point favorite. If you remember Army, although they only won four games this year, they came awfully close to beating Michigan in the big house. Probably should have won that game early on in the season. And look, I don't know if there's going to be enough points to go around between these two teams for somebody to win by nine or more. I think this is a low-scoring game. It always is. It's a fun game to watch, Tom. I always block out my schedule to try to make sure and watch most of this game if I can. Uh, I have Navy winning this game, but I think Army can keep it within a touchdown. This is one of the best rivalries in the country. Army, despite uh, having a down year, they'll find a way to compete. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you uh, as far as the points go. I don't think anybody's going to be winning by nine. Uh, with that being said, uh, I'll take Army as well. Uh, let's move on to the National Football League. The Bills taking on the Steelers. The uh, Steelers are two-point favorites going up against Buffalo. Buffalo uh, had a big-time win against the Cowboys a couple weeks ago. They competed with the Ravens last week and put up one of the best fights we've seen against the Ravens in the last couple weeks, Tom. Um, I know they didn't win, but I bet that they gained some respect and a lot of eyeballs uh, caught on that this Bills team is a legit team based on the way that they went toe-to-toe with the Ravens last week. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, the Bills are one of the more shocking teams uh, in the NFL by all means. I mean, then you have the Steelers, too, who – Despite all odds, uh, is they're looking like they're probably going to get a wild card spot out of this. That being said, too, it is at Heinz Field. It's tough for me not to take the Steelers here, but I like what the Bills are cooking. Uh, so I'm going to go with the Bills here. You're going with the Bills as a two-point underdog. I like the Steelers to win and cover at home. They've been very good at Heinz Field this year. Uh, Duck Hodges has not lost a game as a starter yet. I'll go with uh, the Steelers to cover as a two-point favor. The Colts taking on the Saints. The Colts uh, lost to the Bucks last week. It has been a downward spiral the last couple weeks for the uh, Indianapolis Colts. Meanwhile, the Saints lose a close one to the 49ers. They're a nine-point favorite. Tom, who's going to be the team that bounces back this week between the two? Uh, I think it's got to be the Saints. I mean, the Saints are at home again. Uh, they lost a... Uh, uh, a heartbreaker, essentially, in what I think was the best game of the year. And, and you know, the Colts, the woes continue. Uh, for there for a while, they were playing uh, good enough to at least get a wild card spot, and then the Titans kind of took that from them. Uh, so, I, you know, I think the Saints are going to bounce back this week. Nine's uh, a decent amount, but uh, the Saints just put up 46 uh, against a good defense in the 49ers. So I think they'll be okay to – to at least cover that. Yeah, I think the Saints are going to cover at nine. Uh, the Colts have not been the same team that they were uh, a few weeks ago. Marlon Mack, they really miss him right now with the way they love to run the football. I got to go with the Saints as well. The oldest rivalry in the National Football League, the Bears and the Packers. Tom, when these two teams met to start out the season, the Bears were favored in this game as there was high expectations from a lot of folks, including myself. Uh, the Bears were three-point favorites when these two teams met on week one, and the Packers ended up winning that game in a low-scoring game. Fast forward to week 14 of the NFL season, and now the Packers are a seven-point favorite 
at Lambeau to take on this uh, Bears team. The Bears, it's a must-win game for them to stay alive in this playoff race. Packers, a seven-point favorite. Tom, is that too many points for Gang Green? No, I don't think so. If it was in at Soldier Field, then I might think otherwise. But it's at Lambeau. The Packers, uh, you know, they started off the season really, really hot. Uh, we talked a lot about them, I feel like, in the beginning of the season, how good this team was. I still think they're really good. Um, and, you know, they're going to win the North, I believe. Um, so that being said, I think they can cover seven. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if this game is a wash uh, and, you know, go down as a tie on our pick them. Um, but I will believe in the green here, and I will go with the Packers at home. The uh, Bears really need this game. They do badly, but I think Green Bay's just on another level. Trubisky has played better the last couple weeks, but uh, Green Bay's had their number against uh, Trubisky and the Bears. I like Green Bay to cover at nine. The Titans and the Texans. Winner of this game is going to have sole possession of the AFC South lead. Tennessee is a three-point favorite at home. They've been one of the hottest teams in the NFL the last several weeks. Meanwhile, on the opposite side, the Texans, uh, you had a big-time win against the Patriots, but you got blown out by the Ravens before that. You get blown out by the Broncos after that. Now you travel to Tennessee. Tennessee's run game has been good. Tannehill's been played on another level. That defense is coming together Tom, this is a game I really could see going either way, but I'm going to go with the hot hand. I got Tennessee to cover at three, but nothing. there's no outcome that could surprise me, whether it's a blowout either way or one of these two teams lose, winning a close game. There's, I think you got to expect the unexpected, essentially, with these two unpredictable teams. Oh, for sure you do, and I got I to gotta almost take – you took the words right out of my mouth. You got to go with the hot hand. Uh, and, and that reason alone, I'm taking Tennessee. The uh, next game on the slate, the Los Angeles Rams taking on the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys are three-and-a-half-point favorites uh, against the Rams this game in Dallas. Tom, uh, based on what I've seen the last couple of weeks, I have no idea why the Cowboys are favored in this game. They have not beat a team over 500 all season long. The Rams have started to play a lot better football as of late. The game is in Arlington, uh, but I got to go with the Rams. Not only to covers a three and a half point dog, I got them to win outright. I think this is kind of silly that Dallas is favored based on the way they've played lately. I'm not going to jinx myself and call it silly. Dallas is one of those inconsistent teams. They have their really good games, but for the most part, they've been bad. You mentioned they haven't beat an over 500 team all season. Uh, I think their woes continue. Uh, Andrew Whitworth, uh, offensive lineman for the Rams, said this team had turned a corner uh, after the Ravens' ass kicking that they took. Um, and from the two weeks after that game, it appears it did. They, you know, beat up on a Cardinals team that was to be expected. Uh, and then they pretty much dismantled the Seattle Seahawks in a in a game where they held in quotes, MVP quotes, Russell Wilson to no offensive touchdowns the entire game. The only off or the only touchdown was a pick six where Jared Goff was hit uh, and ended up into what is another underrated trade of the season, Quandre Diggs uh, from the Lions, however many weeks ago that was. He had two picks 
in that game for the Seahawks. We'll get to the Seahawks, obviously, later. But for the time being, no surprise here, I will take the Rams as well, not only to cover, uh, but I hope they just kick their head in. The Vikings taking on the Chargers. The Vikings are two-and-a-half-point favorites against uh, L.A. This game going to be in L.A., but the Vikings have one of the most loyal fan bases in the league, Tom. This will probably end up being a home game of some sorts for the uh, Vikings. They're a two-and-a-half-point favorite. The Chargers, their season's over with, uh, playing for draft picks at this point in time. The Vikings still alive in the playoff fight. i got to go with Minnesota in this one as a two-and-a-half-point favorite to win and cover. I think uh, the Stadium Brothers, the other half of that, is going to help the Rams out this week. Uh, going to be sharing a stadium next year. What better way to give the Rams an early Christmas present than to upset the Minnesota Vikings? Uh, going full Lizzo here, and I think uh, no man on the Minnesota Vikings is going to beat the Chargers this week. I'm going Phillips Rivers. I'm going Chargers. Uh, more so hoping at this point, but I will roll with them. All right, so you'll like the Chargers in that one. The Browns taking on the Cardinals. It's the OU Heisman Bowl. The last two Heisman Trophy winners, each from the University of Oklahoma, former teammates Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray going head-to-head. This game is not going to be on television in the state of Oklahoma, believe it or not. They get the Chiefs game. Uh, The Browns are two-and-a-half-point favorites, Tom. Uh, as uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of interest in Norman and around the state, around the state of Oklahoma, in this one, uh, I think that you might even see like some of those combo jerseys of some sorts. It might say, uh, you know, Murfield if, if, when uh, it's all said and done. Uh, I think the Browns are a slightly better team than the Cardinals, talent-wise. Um, the Cardinals, you know, Kyler Murray and such—they've impressed me this year. I think both these coaches are not NFL coaches by any means um, between the two, but I'll go with Cleveland at two and a half, but I do not feel confident saying that. I'm rolling with the whole Big 12 here. I mean, it's, I think it's going to be a great game of two teams that aren't worth a damn. Um, but that being said, I'm going with uh, the Cardinals here. I like uh, Murray over Mayfield in this one. I don't think that is going to be the reason why. I don't think it's going to be a – a Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning shootout by any means. Uh, but I think the Cardinals uh, can get the job done at home. All right. The Seahawks taking on the Panthers. The Seahawks are six-point favorites against the Panthers. This game going to be in Carolina. Carolina with a new head coach uh, in the interim at that with Ron Rivera being fired uh, a week or two ago now. Seahawks coming off. An ugly loss to the Rams last week. Tom, can the uh, Sea Chickens bounce back as a six-point favorite? I think they can. I'm going to go ahead and take the Panthers here, but I think the Seahawks still win it. Um, I just think it's by less than six. All right. Uh, Last game for you. I like the Seahawks there. Chiefs and Broncos, this game going to be played in Kansas City. The uh, Chiefs are 11-point favorites at home going up against Denver. Drew Locke, in his second start last week, had an impressive showing uh, against the Texans, throwing for over 300 yards in that victory. The Chiefs coming off a win against New England. Tom, uh, it's also going to be a homecoming for Drew Locke. Not only did he play at Mizzou, but also he's from Lee Summit, Missouri, just 15 minutes away from Arrowhead. So pretty cool. A lot of storylines, an AFC West rivalry 
uh, of course, between these two teams. I like the Chiefs at 11. I think they're going to win this game by two touchdowns or more. But I think the Broncos are a lot better team right now than they were even just a couple weeks ago when Joe Flacco was their starting quarterback. I think Drew Lark changes things too, but not a not an 11-point changer there. If it was any more than 11, and I was a little hesitant on taking the Chiefs, after they did what they did to the Patriots, I don't think they come off of a, you know, I don't think they come in as a hangover with a hangover uh, there. Um, I think they do get it done. I think it'll be a little, I, I, was, I say a lot closer. It's Chiefs, I would imagine, won by 14, but uh, I wouldn't sleep on this Denver Broncos team with a new quarterback. Uh, Drew Locke did look impressive last week. Yeah, he did. He did. So those are our picks this week. For Army-Navy, Tav and I are both going with Army as nine-point underdogs. I like the Steelers to cover it, too. Tom likes the Bills as a two-point underdog. We each like the Saints as nine-point favorites, and the Packers as seven-point favorites, and the Titans as seven-point favorites. We also like the Rams as three-and-a-half-point underdogs. I like the Vikings as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Tom likes the Chargers as a two-and-a-half-point underdog. I like the Browns as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Tom likes the Cardinals as a two-and-a-half-point underdog. I like the Seahawks as a six-point favorite. Tom likes the Panthers, and we each like the Chiefs as 11-point favorites in their game standing so far uh, as they stand right now. Uh, Billy Locke is our leader at 77-70-3 on the year. Tom, you're in second at 74-73-3 on the year. Derek Harris is in third at 73-74-3 on the season. Reed in fourth at 71-76-3 on the year. And then Nolan and I are at the bottom of the barrel. At six, he's at 68-79-3, and I'm at 67-80-3 in our standings. I was thinking about this, Tom. You know, we always just say to the picks against the spread, we, we should call it the Josh Shaw Memorial Pick'em. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, I am in favor of that. I will approve that motion. Uh, Josh Shaw, he, uh, he didn't die trying. Yeah, no joke. It seems like that sometimes. It was a good effort from Josh Shaw. Uh, you know, and, and that's the thing, too. Like, he was on IR. Like, if you were injured, Tom, and you were just sitting watching football games, it would be hard not to bet on them, right? Exactly. Yeah, it would be very tough. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is uh, hilarious. Uh, the Josh Shaw Memorial Pick'em. Uh, there you have it for this week. Before we get out of here, time for our Tom Fullery Story of the week this week, and uh, it involves something that I think all of us partook in in junior high, and if you're kind of a weirdo, you probably still use to this day. You know, I, and I, to be honest, I haven't seen a commercial for them in a long time. Maybe they're finally done. Um, you know, and we all joked about this, whatever, you know, this would happen or, well, you know, would laugh it off, but I can't believe it actually finally did happen. Uh, Barstool Sports article here. The title reads, and I'm not surprised, and I don't think you will be either. A school bus had to be evacuated after someone decided to go a little too heavy on the Axe body spray. Jones, I would have guessed that. I didn't. This is the first time. This is my first read. I just read the. When you sent it to me earlier, I just read the headline and thought, well, I know this is going to be good. Didn't see where it was. Not surprised. It's Florida. Uh, also, what a county name. You know, I live in Washington County. I don't know what county Lawrence is in. Douglas uh, County. 
your hometown of Coweta, I think, is in Tulsa County still. Uh, I live in Broken Arrow, and that's in Wagner <laughs> County. <laughs> Tulsa County, Wagner County, Coweta, Broken Arrow, same thing. Anyway, a cool county name here. This might be the, the coolest part about this. A middle school in Manatee County uh, evacuated students from a bus after someone sprayed too much Axe body spray. According to school officials, the bus carrying Buffalo Creek Middle School students had to be removed, or had, carrying students had to be had to remove students off the bus because of the strong odor. A local EMS came to check out the students, but no one was transported to the hospital. Uh, Barstool gets in here. Ah, yes, puberty. What glorious time in everybody's life. You start to grow hair in places you didn't have hair before. You stop spending your days playing manhunt with the neighborhood crew, and instead you spend all your time trying to find some ways to touch some butts and land some smooches. And oh yeah, you also start to stink a lot. And when you start to stink, there's no better friend to a middle school kid than a fresh can of Axe Body Spray. Tsunami, Phoenix, Essence, all some of the most influential scents of adolescence. I dare you right now to take a sniff of Axe Phoenix and not feel like you got warped into a time machine that brought you right back to the 6th grade gym locker room. Man, that, that is not true. Uh, but with great power comes great responsibility, and oftentimes kids cannot handle the power that Axe wields. Sometimes that power gets away from them, and they rip through half a can like it's nothing. Spray here, spray there, gets the job done. But when you become a one-man environmental wrecking band and decide to bathe your entire body in Axe, well, that's when you get poison control on the line. Jones goes on to say a lot of other things that I'm sure, even down to don't act like you've never gone through a whole can before while holding a lighter up to the nozzle to make a mini flamethrower. I've done that many of times. <laughs> Jones, do you think Axe Larson uses Axe? Axe Larson definitely uses Axe. Uh, he has to. He's contractually obligated to. You know, uh, and, and, you know, I feel like Axe is the first to do the, the cheapo depot aerosol spray cologne. Uh, and then Old Spice did theirs. And then many of other tried and true, uh, you know, substitutes for Axe came through. I have had Axe before. I think it's a rite of passage through adolescence. Uh, Absolutely. Like, you did not go to junior high or middle school, whatever they call it, unless you used Axe body spray. We all saw the commercials, and we were convinced that women were just going to throw themselves at us because we used Axe body spray. You have to use it at some point in life. And then you get to a point when you're about, oh, I don't know, 15 or 16 years old, and you say, you know what? This smells bad. Like, I need to use real cologne. It, it's something you have to do, but it does take some realization of some sorts to realize, no, this isn't good. And then it makes sense all of a sudden why your mom uh, told you to stop spraying that so much. And you're like, Mom, no, I just need one more spray. This is what's going to get it done. It also makes sense why you really never could get the girls after all that time because it really wasn't that good. Right, and it'll never be that good. But by God, if I wouldn't just sniff it up like a, you know, like a proverbial line of adolescent nostalgic middle school coke uh, because that's exactly what it smells like. Uh, I mean, I can almost even taste it 
when it was sprayed so heavily and it got too close to your mouth, you can almost just taste that that wretched chemically nastiness. I mean, it felt like you were being, you know, literally like, uh, you know, gassed. Uh, Tom, uh, do you know anybody that uses Axe body spray? No, 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 I don't. I have a um, former I'm, coworker. I'm proud. And this might be why he's a former coworker now. I don't know, but it's certainly possible. Uh, would keep Axe body spray at his desk and be ready to put it on at all times and would ask you if you wanted to borrow Axe body spray. Did you ever borrow any? No. No. No? You never, What kind did he have? Uh, he, he always just kept a can of it uh, at his desk just to be ready at all times. I would say that is a man with a plan. Now, I will say, Tom, like, I'll use Axe body wash or shampoo or whatever. I have no problem with using that at all. That stuff smells fine. That's good. But that stuff in a can, I mean, that's just nasty now. Right, I know. The Axe body wash, it doesn't have, it doesn't keep that strong scent. It actually has a purpose. There's actually soap in that bottle and not chemicals. Uh, I mean, that stuff actually can smell good. Um, but as far as the body spray goes, it's like, okay. Uh, almost, I kind of almost want to go to Walmart and spray some. You know, you always sprayed some on yourself walking through just to see, oh, is this the kind I want next? I almost kind of want to just go do that, but just maybe... Not spray it on me, but just spray it in the air just so I can go back. I feel like they should make a movie on that, like a time-traveling movie, where to get back to your childhood days, you have to spray and gasp that terribleness in uh, to go back in time. That would. Be, I'm surprised uh, it took this long for a bus to get evacuated, as far as we know anyway, because of Axe body spray. I thought this would have happened at least 10 years ago. I wish Axe would have come out with a statement. I wonder if they said no comment. Right. Uh, or if they said that we encourage this behavior, that you're actually just making the bus smell less like a bus. Right. And, I, you know, I've been on a lot of buses that smell terrible. I'm sure you have, too. Uh, but no amount of Axe is going to cover uh, all the shit that comes in and out of, uh, you know, America's greatest bus lines. Do you think a bus smells worse than Axe body spray? Ooh, I don't know. Two totally different smells, but it's not. It's it can never be as good, or it can never. I would say it can never be as bad as Axe trying to cover up a bad smell on a bus. Tom, do you remember what was before Axe? I don't. Uh, that would have been uh, Tag body spray. Oh, I remember Tag. I also remember Bod. Yes, Bod was also another one. I think Bod is still around. I don't know about Tag. Tag. I remember Bod, though. Bod was, uh, that was next level. That was. I had a couple cans of Bod, not going to lie. And then Old Spice, credit where credit's due, they were, when Tom and I were growing up, like known as the old man stuff for everything, like shampoo, deodorant, body spray, whatever. And then they had this guy that did this ad campaign on a horse and he totally changed their reputation and all of a sudden Old Spice became cool again. You know who that guy is? Who's that guy? 
That's Terry Crews who also played. Oh, no, no, the no. Rain. There was a guy before Terry Crews. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Uh, don't know his name, but you know what I will say. My neighbor actually was using Old Spice when I, I don't even know I was using some other form of deodorant, but I still use Old Spice from time to time. Right now, I'm using Degree. I've been a Degree guy for a while. For men. Right, right. The other, you know, and I, I will not lie, you know, growing up, that if I ran out of deodorant, I was not opposed to using sister's deodorant because a lot of girls, a lot of girls' deodorant just smells like powder. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that women's deodorant's probably better than men's deodorant. I mean, it lasts longer and smells better. Exactly, and it's just a powder smell. And even the uh, Old Spice, like, spray on the, the, the version that they had of Axe and the aerosol can, a lot of that just smelled like powder. That was actually not a bad one. Tom, should we bring back Axe Body Spray? Do you think no. you and I, like, no. we should, over this holiday season, give Axe to people? No, we are not a pro-Axe podcast. <laughs> so, we're a... Uh, we're not a pro AFC East, and we're not a pro Axe bod, uh, podcast, what I've learned today. Right, exactly. That's what it comes down to. We're we're pro a lot of things. But what like about like saying, in a dirty Santa or something? Like, I can't just give away one bottle of that. I mean, it's cheap. No, because what harm you will do to others. That's true. You know, I mean, the hell with it. I would take, I would, I would take it to, and hope someone that I didn't like got it. But I mean, you could legitimately. I mean, if you're use playing, like uh, you know, Dirty Santa, I believe the way that game works, Tom, is that you have three steals. Um, if you end up with Axe Body Spray, I really doubt your gift's going to be stolen. You're, you're going to end up with that. You know, if I end up with Axe Body Spray. I'm going to be so mad, I'm just going to puncture the can and uh, drop it on the ground and leave the room. What if uh, that's like the only thing there? You get just a can or a couple cans of Axe Body Spray. Maybe you could come up with like an Axe Pack. Put the body wash in there, the body spray. Just find whatever Axe stuff you could get. Maybe a loofah too. Uh, then you'd be all set. You would be. You would be pro Axe. Yeah, and then this uh, podcast would be on another whim. Um, but I'm tempted to buy some Axe podcast. body spray after this just to see if it's – kind of remind myself, see if it's as bad as what it, I thought. Right, exactly. I believe the last kind I tried, Tom, and maybe there's another name for it, but I believe the last time I tried it was a chocolate Axe body spray. Jones, it's been so long I can't remember the last Axe that I've had. I know it was in a – and a black metallic looking can with maybe one of the primary colors on it. But anything other than that, it's been too long. My memories, the axes affected my memory. Breathing in all that axe will do that. Yeah, um, there was some uh, consequences that lasted a long time as far as that goes. But anyways, we are not a pro axe body spray podcast. We are not a pro uh, NFC East podcast, uh, but we are. Uh, honoring the legendary Josh Shaw each and every week with the now Josh Shaw Memorial Pick'em. I think we can deem that a successful 
show there to get those three things in order. Right. That's what we learned today was those three things. So uh, hopefully we have made you a little bit smarter and less dumber on this show uh, as we do each and every week here on the Jones Report. That about does it. Uh, big thanks to Chris Lilly for joining us. Give him to follow on uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. He does a great job. And uh, follow us as well at Tyler Jones Live on Twitter at Thomas underscore Bridges at TJ Media Group. Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group. Instagram at Tyler Jones Live at Insta Thomas and Jones underscore Report. Uh, also, you can uh, find us uh, on the show. You can subscribe uh, on SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, uh, all that great stuff. iTunes, uh, make sure to uh, subscribe to the show, leave a five-star review, or don't leave one at all. And we'll see you right back here next week. Hope you have a great week, everybody. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. For Thomas Bridges and Chris Lilly, I'm Tyler Jones saying so long. We'll see you next week. The Jones Report. F*** yeah.